There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is now playing's Avengers Retrospective Series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Never heard of them. Part of the now playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. Well, I guess that's worth a look. Hosted by Arnie. Everybody in this room is about that superhero life. Jacob. I like this one. And Stuart. Some people move on. But not us. Not us. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies featuring the superheroes Iron Man. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. The Incredible Hulk. Hulk like raging fire. Thor. You call yourself Lord of Thunder. God of Thunder. Captain America. Just don't know when to give up, do we? I can do this all day. Ant-Man. The ultimate secret weapon. Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes. Doctor Strange. Heroes like the Avengers protect the world from physical dangers. We sorcerers safeguarded against all mystical threats. Spider-Man. Are you an Avenger? Yeah, basically. Black Panther. You're telling me that the king of a third world country runs around in a bulletproof gas suit? Captain Marvel. Higher, further, faster, baby. That's right. <laughs> and the Avengers. I have an army. We have a Hulk. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. And he's guru. Whoa! Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. Showtime, a-holes! Today we're discussing Avengers... Endgame, starring Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Mark Ruffalo, Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner, Don Cheadle, Paul Rudd, Benedict Cumberbatch, Chadwick Boseman, Brie Larson, Tom Holland, Karen Gillian, Zoe Saldana, Evangeline Lilly, Tessa Thompson, Renee Russo, Elizabeth Olsen, Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan, Tom Hiddleston, Danae Guerrera, Benedict Wong, Tom Clementif, Dave Bautista, Letitia Wright, John Slattery, Tilda Swinton, John Favreau, Haley Atwell, Natalie Portman. I was wondering if you were going to say it. <laughs> I don't think she was here, but maybe some old footage. Marissa Tomei, Taika Watiti, Angela Bassett, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, William Hurt, Kobe Smulders, featuring Vin Diesel as Groot, Bradley Cooper as Rocket, with Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> with Robert Redford, with Josh Brolin as Thanos, with Chris Pratt, and Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. For half a second. <laughs> Is there anyone in Hollywood I didn't name? Yeah, I got four of them. I, that was the fun game. I was like, who was not invited back to the party? Terrence Howard, Ed Norton, <laughs> Howard the Duck, and the Inhumans. <laughs> no way you're getting an invite. Howard the Duck's in there. Marjorie saw him in the big end battle. 
I don't know if the quack foo is going to take down Thanos, but Howard made it. With who, though? He's off on some other space planet. How did he get to Earth? The Ravagers are there, too. And he's kind they of are? hanging out where the Ravagers were. I did not see one Ravager in this, but maybe on a second watch. I'm missing Darcy. Where's she at? They brought Natalie Portman back. They couldn't get Kat Denning. Uh, yeah, but that dog that teleports, <laughs> keep him out. Directed by Joe Russo and Anthony Russo. This is America's wise-ass, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is Jacob. And guys, Thick Thor is everything I want to be in life. Like, I have new goals. I just want to be Thick Thor. <laughs> yeah, I'm America's first obese superhero. America's <laughs> first openly gay character in a superhero movie, even though it's not a superhero character. A lot of firsts here. Endgame. I gotta tell you, it was a little bit hard focusing on Hellboy and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and <laughs> all of it when I was out in L.A. celebrating Endgame. Yeah, that's funny. We've been living two different lives because this was not on my radar. I know you're going to laugh, but I haven't paid attention to this movie at all. I've been in Pokemon. <laughs> I've had to cram 16 Pokemon movies. While you were all watching the previous MCU chapters, I was digging deep on all those animated Pokemon films. So this just snuck up onto me and it's this huge deal to the rest of the world. Now, I want to clarify, a lot of people on Twitter seem to think that I went to one of the marathons. There were a couple theaters across the country that did all 22 films. Which is a two-day no-sleep event. Why are people going to these marathons? They're all available, except Captain Marvel, for home viewing. Sit at home and watch it where you can shower, brush your teeth, have a decent meal. Apparently, one of the theaters was offering shower and leave for food breaks, but... Still, no, I am not a movie marathon guy. I have just come to terms with that after The Force Awakens. I did the closest thing. Last Labor Day, because Labor Day is a shitty time at the box office, they re-released every Marvel movie in IMAX. And you could see four a day with time in between to go home, time at night to go home and sleep. And so over the Labor Day weekend, I saw Every movie from 2008's Iron Man all the way through Ant-Man and the Wasp in IMAX. You, Arnie, I know, just habitually watch these films. Like, I'll come over and they're just on. You are very familiar. I don't think there's probably any installment you haven't seen at least three times. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Captain Marvel. There are certain ones that are lesser. I don't think I've seen Thor The Dark World. Well, I guess just because I went to marathons, I've seen it three times. But I've never had that just on in the house. Yeah, you're right. I haven't seen that one. What about you, Jacob? Did you go back and see all the old installments in prep? I did. I had a very unpopular opinion about Infinity War. But I wanted to go back for this endgame because this felt like a culmination of everything. Go back and rewatch it all before I saw this film. I was able to do that again over the period of about two months months before Captain Marvel came out, I actually finished watching everything. And, you know, watching it in a close proximity like that, I felt like I got stuck on Winter Soldier because I love that one so much. And that seemed to go for more of a real world superhero thing. And Marvel didn't want to do that. Like that became very clear. And like, okay, I'm more able to accept that, that it is about these Infinity Stones and this cosmic stuff is more and more important as the MCU went on building up to Endgame. So it was nice being able to watch everything and kind of getting that appreciation, seeing it all in close proximity, what was important for Marvel for storytelling and what they were moving towards. So are you sticking by your red arrow for Infinity War? Yeah, I still feel like it's a lot of prequel stuff that you don't really need to know. Like you could sum that film up in 30 minutes, throw it on this one, just make this three and a half hours. 
I did go back to watch it. That was the only one I went back. I felt like I needed to because it's been a year since that happened. And yes, we've had other Marvel movies, but those didn't make the same impact. And I felt like this was the film I wanted to familiarize myself with. And again, I like that it ended in tragedy. I like that it ended in defeat. I did not know what this movie had. And I think the few advertisements I did see of this movie were very cagey about what they were showing us. I saw Avengers in white suits. I saw Tony recording a teary message to Pepper, and I saw Thor grin that he liked Captain Marvel, and that's all I could tell you. Having just finished our Pet Cemetery review, where we all agreed they showed way too much in that trailer, mm. and getting a recent Rise of Skywalker Star Wars trailer, where, as JJ is wont to do, they reveal far too little, where I get nothing except Star Wars is back. The Russos and Kevin Feige played advertising for Endgame just right. Almost every scene they showed was from the first half hour of the movie with a couple in the first hour and maybe one or two only later in the film. You knew nothing about the plot. They successfully hid that there was... All right, successfully is kind of questionable. Has to be. There's a green time travel stone. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I'd heard rumors since before Infinity War came out from people who just... You know, paparazzi see them filming on the streets of Georgia and are like, hey, we have Chris Evans and he's wearing that horrible suit from 2012. And because of the costumes they were wearing and everything, people theorize time travel. But if you hadn't seen those photos, if you hadn't followed those leaks, and those were the only leaks I had, I intentionally remained spoiler free. Good, good. I was wondering if anybody did know things going in. I knew time travel, and some friends at work asked me, who did I think would die? That was the question they wanted to know. Of course. And I said, I think Tony Stark will die. That's obvious. I think that Captain America will travel back in time and stay with Peggy. And then I said, and I think they'll probably kill one or two extraneous people like Hawkeye. I was close. I got two out of three. Right. I went so far as to predict Red Skull would be the one to kill Cap. That was where I was on that. But yeah, the real question was not what was going to happen. We all understand. It's in the title. This is the end of an era. We will never see these Avengers assemble this way again. The question is, will it be a body count? Will it be like X-Men Last Stand where everyone got pissed off because all of their favorites ended up bloody on the ground? Or will they find a way that doesn't undermine the power of Infinity War to give a happy ending? Now, how excited were you guys for this film? Because I've got to be completely honest. My hype reached new levels that I didn't think were possible. Uh, Let me just put it this way. When I walked up to the house this morning, there was a new Iron Man vehicle in Arnie's driveway. (laughs) Oh, no. I may have gotten the Iron Man Hyundai Kona. I went to L.A. before the movie opened. I got an Avengers tattoo while watching Infinity War. What is that? This is what they call the Avengers Illuminati symbol that all the original Avengers got when 2012's movie came out. There's a star for Captain America. There's an A for Avengers. There's a toxic symbol for Hulk, all in a cool little design. There's an arrow for Hawkeye. There's the Black Widow symbol right there. Okay, yeah, you know, what's cool about it is is that not everyone is going to recognize it as Avengers Marvel. Yeah, that's what I absolutely love about it. I... Then did something I have never done before. I went to the red, or in this case, purple carpet. I got out there at 6 a.m. This is truly the biggest premiere in history. I talked to some people at Disney, 
You know Disney owns El Capitan Theater. Mm -hmm. All of the premieres are at El Capitan Theater. Yep. Yeah. You know what I didn't know? They have multiple premieres at the exact same time. The stars go to El Capitan Theater. The stars' family go next door to the Jimmy Kimmel Theater to watch the movie. And then, like, the key grips and the executives go across the street to Man's Chinese Theater to watch the movie. So they have so many people to show the movie to, only the stars walk the red carpet and get the full El Capitan treatment. I mean, I wouldn't want to see the key grip walking down the... I mean, I hate these credits at the end. Like, make them faster. I don't need to see everybody. Good for you. Let's move on. Well, this was the first time Disney had to go bigger than El Capitan. They rented out the L.A. Convention Center. Okay. That was just for the stars and the stars' special guests, like children. They meet in that big old auditorium that they had celebration in for the big kickoff. That thing is huge. That thing is huge, and it was packed. There was not a single extra seat because there's so many stars in this film and so many stars' families. I mean, Natalie Portman showed up. Yeah, I know Spider-Man. I guess he's refilming shots for some other movie. He couldn't make it, but Natalie Portman was there. Yeah, that kind of clued me in that maybe she would show up in this film. Maybe something was happening if she showed up. I'm not convinced that you just used old footage. <laughs> yeah, she didn't film anything for this movie. She's not. That is her face from a deleted scene of one of the Thor movies pasted onto a body double. I knew, I knew it. it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> she walked the purple carpet too. Fraud, get out of here. <laughs> well... I stood outside the L.A. Convention Center. They still had El Capitan, Jimmy Kimmel, and Mans for the executives, the key grips, and everything else. They filled the L.A. Convention Center with the stars of this movie. Disney has never done that before. They've never moved it to the L.A. Convention Center. It was unprecedented, but I got there early, and I was one of a lucky, I'd say, 300 people to get into what they call the fan pit. Now, I was not familiar with the fan pit, as I've never done this before, but this is an area where fans are allowed to go and gape and photo the stars, and if you're lucky, some stars will wander past and scribble on an item with a marker for you. How much of this is like a mosh pit? Surprisingly none. I actually expected it, because I was right at the front of the gate, and I remembered being... You can go back and listen to one of our Rob Zombie reviews where Marjorie and I discussed the mosh pit at the Rob Zombie thing, where she got pulled out by the police and lost her shoes. Yeah, this is a great way to get your neck broken and thrown over a fence. Yeah, that's what I thought. No, it was actually fairly polite. There were no punches thrown, despite the fact that I'd say two-thirds of the people there make their living in fan pits by getting autographs from these people and then flipping them on eBay for thousands of dollars. Mm. But it was great. I got a selfie with Joe Russo. I got to shake hands with... Half the cast, I got signatures from like 17 people, some of whom never do conventions. It was an amazing time. I cannot think, and I'm trying not to be hyperbolic here. Will there be, or has there been, such a big movie with so many stars in it? I feel like Hollywood has reached a pinnacle of spectacle with this. I will predict, because of the power of computer technology, there will ultimately be films that raise people from the dead. And you will have Humphrey Bogart and Bruce Willis and maybe every actor that's ever lived in a film. So I'm not going to go as far as you. <laughs> He's saying Bruce Willis is dead? I mean, that's how he looks when <laughs> on screen, but... His career is. Well, yeah, but reviving the Bruce we remember, perhaps. My point is, <laughs> I don't think that this is the end of this kind of pylon, but I agree, I can't think of another movie where they use this much marquee value for one film. 
I actually do wonder how much this scares Hollywood because, you know, re- before this movie came out, they're talking about Easter weekend was one of the worst Easter weekends they've had for movies. And it's like, this is what we got to do now to get people to theaters. Just make it the biggest movie ever with every movie star with 10 years of continuity of comic book heroes. This is actually kind of scary because this is what movies are going to turn into to get people to come out into the theater. I, n- no one wants to go for a little indie film anymore. It's got to be the biggest thing ever. And you've seen so many try and fail. I mean, the Universal Monsters tried to come together Avengers style. That So many people have tried to mimic... DC tried to do it. This formula, yes, you could even say DC Comics has not been as successful as Marvel has at this game. I don't think anyone's going to play this game any better right now, but I have to believe that eventually audiences will want something else because there's only so many peaks to climb before you have to ask yourself... What more is there? That's kind of what I'm suggesting by saying this is as big as it gets, is I feel Kevin Feige wept for he had no more cinemas to conquer. I feel the only way to go from here is smaller, especially with what we're going to talk about. I ask, is this the last Avengers movie? It feels like it. I don't even know at the end of this movie if there is an Avengers team. Yeah, it is the last of an era. What I would compare it to is the TV show was canceled and there will be a spinoff. Just like Game of Thrones is going to get some new series that nobody will care about as much, that's what's coming next. So you're calling it Aftermash? Yes. He's calling this Joni Loves Chachi after Happy Days. (laughs) Well, let's hope it doesn't get that bad. But yes, this could be the tipping point. This could be the last one that everyone really likes. And we talk about this film as being the end of your fandom for Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I do feel... (laughs) This is horrible to say, but I look forward at the upcoming Ant-Man and Doctor Strange movies, and I feel kind of like the Disney-era Star Wars movies. Great, milk the cash cow. I don't know how much we need it. I mean, that's kind of how I felt after Age of Ultron where it's setting up that, yeah, it was going to be Vision and Scarlet Witch and War Machine. Here, here's your new Avengers eventually. No one wants that. Seriously, it occurred to me, if you don't bring back Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans... How many people are going to assemble just because Chris Hemsworth and Jeremy Renner got back together again? I love them. Don't get me wrong. I don't think you're going to get this many people signing up for the Hawkeye Thor team up. Well, there's a Thor team up that is going to succeed that they set up at the end here. But I think that's it. That's going to be the big money grab for Marvel Disney. I will say this. When you go back and look at the original couple of films, Iron Man was the only one that was a phenomenon. That first Avenger Captain America movie did okay. Thor did okay. It's going to take time to build up new stars to have the same power. And they can do it, but it won't be the next film. I think it's telling that Bob Iger is choosing this moment to step down. I mean, I think this is going to be huge. I asked on Twitter when the Episode 9 trailer came out, which will be the bigger movie this year, domestic or global, Episode 9 or Endgame? And anyone who said Episode 9... I'm sorry, but every headline I'm reading this weekend is Endgame. They snapped their fingers and made all other box office records turn to dust. Yeah, half of the population went and saw the movie. (laughs) Oddly enough, again, my limited experience that I feel so alone in the world is I was barely paying attention to this movie coming out. And then when I show up, I get there extra early, even though I already have a seat reserved. The theater is not full. I don't know where this hype is about we need to have screenings nonstop around the clock because we're filling the theaters. 
I went to a 6.30 Thursday Real D showing and I put my pizza on the seat next to me. I put my pad of paper on the seat on the other side of me. I There was five empty seats between me and other people. I guess you're not in LA anymore, Stuart, because it was packed at the theater. I went to sold out screenings around the clock. I went 7 p.m. on a Thursday night. I bought my tickets when they went on sale for pre-sale like three weeks ago or whatever. Like I rushed on to Fandango and... I read all these people like waiting hours. I don't know, Arnie, if that was like for a special where you get a Happy Meal toy with the movie, but I just walked in, bought my two tickets, reserved my seats, and I was done with the transaction. But yeah, totally packed. I went and looked at the seating charts that day, and like, unless you want that front row, everything was sold out. What happened, Jacob, is you and I hit it really early. I got a text message before it was announced that the tickets were live. I don't know who Marjorie got the text message from. But if you got there immediately, and I was kind of, I was getting ready for work, I'm like, all right, I guess I'll be a few minutes late for work and I'll get my Avengers tickets. Thank God I did, because Fandango servers, AMC servers, the servers crashed. There was just too much traffic. Every major theater chain and every major ticket holder in America had their servers crashed for hours. It's unprecedented traffic. Fandango has said there are 8,000 sold-out screenings this weekend, and they've never had ticket sales and ticket pre-sales like they've had for Endgame. But Stuart, to split the difference, Ryan, my friend who I've talked about on recent shows, is all up in arms like, oh my god, you have to pre-buy tickets. There's no showings this weekend. I'm like, dude, you can walk into this movie anytime unless you want the IMAX screening or a recliner screening here in town. Ah. The recliner theaters, completely sold out. Every chair. The IMAX, completely sold out, except for the 3D showing. I went to the 3D IMAX showing. There were probably 20 to 30 empty seats in it. People didn't want to pay IMAX and 3D. Yeah, I was at that screening too. And again, I'm like, where is this sellout? I have seen bigger crowds at non-Marvel movies than at these screenings. But I know it was just a fluke. I gotta say, though, I was surprised. The 3D added something to this film for me. Not a ton. I don't say it's a must-see, but for a change, I actually never forgot it was 3D, and I thought certain scenes really were benefited. I saw it in 3D, both as Real D and 3D IMAX, and it's good for the long view. It's good for looking through tunnels and such. I didn't find that it enhanced much about the experience. But if you don't care about the IMAX, and you should, this is filmed in IMAX, But if you don't care about it and you wanted to see it on a regular screen in my town and in St. Louis where I saw the opening because I went to the fan event, which was sold out. You could just walk in. There's so many showtimes. Right. If you are indiscriminate, you can see this. If you want to go at three in the morning, plenty of seats. (laughs) (laughs) But unprecedented for Springfield, they had to add a 2 a.m. IMAX showing. So they had a 6 p.m. and a 10 p.m. IMAX showing, and they were selling so many tickets, they did a 2 a.m. IMAX showing. And I know somebody who went, and he looked pretty haggard the next day at work. (laughs) And again, the last time I saw a movie being shown around the clock opening weekend was The Force Awakens, and this did 60 million on Thursday, beat Force Awakens 57 million. So Marvel, bigger than Star Wars now. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, sorry, but I I think with the failure of Solo and the hype for this, it's very obvious that we have put a lot of stock in this, and I don't want to seem blasé about it. I really wanted Endgame to work. I was excited to see the end of the era, and I was hoping for the best. I wasn't anticipating what would happen. I already thought I knew what would happen. I was hoping they would deliver the baby correctly, because so often, when you get to the end of that trilogy, something gets dropped. My mindset going 
going in was because I, I was not Arnie Levels hyped. I was like, oh, I want to see how this wraps up. I like these characters. Didn't really like the film that set this one up, but I'm open-minded for this one. What those trailers sold me on, because there was so little in them, I'm like, it looks like they're going to explore more of the emotional depth of what happened in Infinity War. And I'm open for that. I want to explore like what happens when half of all living things disappears. But... My viewpoint going into this one, similar to, again, The Force Awakens, to me, that had a mission to say, Star Wars is back, guys. It's not the prequels. It's in good hands. This was very much a mission movie as well. How do you wrap up the last 11 years of the MCU? How do you send off Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth or whoever's going to go away in this film? How is this as a reunion and a reflection of what we've all enjoyed over the last decade with Marvel? And for me, that's how this film is going to succeed or fail. How much is it really fan service? I mean, look, at this point, if you don't like Marvel movies, you haven't seen anyone already, not recommend. Don't see this. This is for the fans. I agree. This is the first movie. I mean, Infinity War was close, but I think you could walk into Infinity War and learn who the characters are as it goes along. Each one has a good introduction. It would be hard to keep up, but you could. This is the first Marvel movie where they're like, screw it. And it is, you know, they played games. It was going to be Infinity War Part 1, Infinity War Part 2. And the Russos said, no, we're going to have two completely separate stories. We're going to have two full movies, but we're going to do them a year apart. And so this is a different movie called Endgame. But it is Part 2. It's kind of like if you just tried to come in to the two towers of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It is indelibly linked to that first movie. As for expectations, it's so weird because I was so excited that when the movie came, I sat down and I'm like, this feels very weird. I'm actually going to know what's behind the trailers. I'm going to have context for this stuff that I have been so excited about for six months to 12 months. I have rewatched Infinity War ad nauseum. I've come to really love that movie and think it's one of the best in the MCU. Sorry, Jacob, you and I are polar opposites on that one. I don't think it's one of the worst. I'm not polar. <laughs> but I didn't have expectations. I had hopes. I hoped that they'd wrap it up. But... Marvel has always been so cagey, like their trailers. I presumed Chris Evans was going to leave the franchise. I presumed Robert Downey Jr. was finally going to leave the franchise, which he'd been threatening to do since Iron Man 2. That was the one I would put all my money on. I knew he was leaving. Not only that, but everyone understood it, and yet I still was running into people being like, I just can't deal with it. I'm like, you've had a year. Deal with it. He is leaving the show. Like, I can't believe anyone would think that it wasn't going to happen. It's a foregone conclusion. It has to happen in order to give Spider-Man his arc and to set up the stage for where they're going next. That is not a spoiler. That is obvious. But they've backed up that money truck so many times. I wondered, could they back it up and keep Chris Evans around despite all the things he said? You know, could they make him offers where he gets to make whatever movie he wants to make in exchange for doing Captain America a few more times? Or would this be X-Men The Last Stand? Will this be a bloodbath? I don't know. I honestly, because I knew rumors of time travel, I didn't even think Thanos was going to be the villain. I thought, here's one for the Marvel fans, their time travel was going to arise the ire of Kang, the time-traveling conqueror, <laughs> and he was going to be the real villain. Yeah, you had teased that Thanos wasn't going to be the main villain, and so that was an interesting nuance to what the story could be. It wouldn't necessarily be about defeating Thanos, because Thanos won. We need to understand that the battle was won decisively. And so fighting him does no good. We'll see that in this movie. Arnie, why don't we get into the plot 
and we can discuss everything in Endgame. All right, here is the plot summary of Lord of the Infinity Stones, The Return of the King of Asgard. We pick up a few weeks after Josh Brolin's character Thanos snapped away half of all life in the universe. Tony Stark, played for a final time by Robert Downey Jr., and Nebula, played by Karen Gillian, are the last two survivors who fought Thanos on the planet Titan, but now they're adrift in space on a ship that's losing power and oxygen. They're saved and returned to Earth by Deus Ex Captain Marvel, played by Brie Larson. There, they meet up with the surviving Earth Avengers. Captain America, played by Chris Evans. Black Widow, played by Scarlett Johansson. War Machine, played by Don Cheadle. Bruce Banner, who still can't hulk out, played by Mark Ruffalo. Plus, Rocket Raccoon, voiced by Bradley Cooper. Then there's Thor, played by Chris Hemsworth, who is sullen, blaming himself for Thanos' victory. Rocket has traced an energy surge from the gauntlet to some garden planet, so the new team of Avengers wants to go there and get the stones and snap people back to life. Stark blames Cap for the failure to defend Earth, so he stays on Earth. But Captain Marvel, War Machine, and Banner in Hulkbuster armor overpower the undefended Thanos, who already destroyed the stones to prevent his work from ever being undone. In a rage, Thor beheads Thanos. And we jump to five years later. Some of the heroes are trying to keep peace in a world struggling to rebuild after losing half its population. Included in this is the leader of the Wakandan Guard, Okoya, played by Danny Guerrera, and Captain Marvel, who, in her new short haircut, is trying to help thousands of other worlds in the same predicament. 25 years, no haircut, then five years later, <laughs> whole new look. <laughs> Steve Rogers leads a support group of traumatized survivors, counseling them to move on, which, ironically, he cannot do. This humdrum rebuilding is interrupted by, of all things, a random rat who scuttles across the board of Hank Pym's quantum tunnel. If you recall at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Scott Ant-Man Lang, played by Paul Rudd, was left in the quantum realm after everyone was dusted. But this rat hits the right lever to bring Scott back, and to Scott, it's as if only five hours passed. So after making sure his now teenage daughter Cassie is okay, Lang finds Captain America and Black Widow, theorizing the quantum tunnel could be used to travel through time, get the stones, and bring people back to life. They go to Tony for help, but Tony's living a quiet life in a log cabin with now-wife Pepper, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, and he spends his time raising his young daughter Morgan. As such, he refuses to help. They then go and see Bruce Banner, or, as he's being called online, Professor Hulk, Banner's mind in Hulk's body, played by Mark Ruffalo. Banner's expertise isn't quantum mechanics, but he agrees to help. After a couple failed tries, though, Stark shows up. He cracked the key to time travel, but it involves the Pym particle, developed by the now-dusted Hank Pym, played later by Michael Douglas, so they only have enough for one time travel trip per person. They need a team, so Hulk and Rocket go to find Thor, who's living on Earth's new Asgard, but his depression has caused him to become an obese drunk who plays Xbox all day with Korg and Meek. He's only lured back when Rocket promises beer on the journey. And Black Widow goes to Tokyo to find Clint Hawkeye Barton, played by Jeremy Renner. Or is he now Clint Ronan Barton? With his whole family dusted, Barton has spent the past five years as a Punisher-like vigilante killing evil people who survived Thanos' snap. But he agrees to return to the Avengers with the hope of getting his family back. They realize throughout their adventures, the heroes have encountered all the stones, so they know when and where those stones will be. They split into three teams. Tony, Steve, Scott, and Hulk go back in time to 2012, where they go Back to the Future 2 style during the Battle for New York. There, Tony and Scott are tasked with getting the Tesseract, Steve with the Scepter, and Hulk with heading over to Doctor Strange's Bleecker Street Sanctum Santorum to get the Time Stone. 
At that house, though, Hulk encounters the Ancient One, played by a returning Tilda Swinton, who refuses to give up the stone, as using it to correct Hulk's reality would doom her reality to suffering without the Time Stone. But when she's told Doctor Strange, played later by Benedict Cumberbatch, willingly gave up the Time Stone during the Infinity War, she feels he must have had a reason and gives it to Hulk, with Hulk's promise to return the stones to the moment in time they were taken to prevent horrible alternate realities. Steve is successful getting the scepter, but Scott and Tony fumble getting the Tesseract, which Loki, played by Tom Hiddleston, snatches and uses to escape Avengers' captivity. As they need more Pym particles to travel more through time, Steve and Tony go back to 1970 New Jersey, where a S.H.I.E.L.D. base stores the Tesseract, and where Hank Pym develops the Pym particle. They get the stone and the particle and return to the present. Group 2 is Thor and Rocket Raccoon sent to a time we'd all rather forget, 2013's Thor The Dark World. I can't believe The Dark World is like is such an important film now. Because of a stone. <laughs> More like an angry sludge. Yeah. <laughs> the ether was a red cloud that hid in Jane, played by Natalie Portman. Rocket gets the ether while Thor gets Mjolnir and realizes, hey, I'm still worthy of being a hero. Group 3 is Nebula, War Machine, Hawkeye, and Black Widow, who go to 2014 with Rocket ship the Benatar and then split up. Hawkeye and Black Widow go to Vormir to get the Soul Stone, but as Thanos found out last time, it requires a soul for a soul, and the two heroes fight each other because each wants to sacrifice themselves to save the other. But Widow is ironically victorious as she falls to her death, and Hawkeye gets the Soul Stone. But it's in 2014 on the planet Morag with War Machine and Nebula where things go really wrong. They do knock out a Walkman dancing Peter Quills and get the Power Stone, but Nebula's cybernetics are on a frequency shared with the 2014 Nebula. That younger, still evil Nebula is able to access all of the older, good Nebula's memories and project them for Thanos, 2014's Thanos, who now sees he was victorious and must stop the Avengers from undoing his work. While War Machine returns to the present with the Power Stone, Thanos, Nebula, and Gamora, who wasn't dead in 2014 and is played by Zoe Saldana, kidnap Good Nebula and send Bad Nebula to the future undercover. The heroes do assemble the new gauntlet and Hulk snaps the 50% dusted people back to existence, but is severely injured in doing so. But Nebula opens a gateway for Thanos and his army to time travel from 2014 to the present, where he wages open war on the heroes. Thanos realizes killing half the universe isn't enough because the other half will focus on what they lost, not what they've gained, the endless natural resources in space. So now Thanos wants the gauntlet to destroy the entire universe and build a new one that will be grateful to him. His army overpowers the heroes, even though the heroes are aided by Gamora and Good Nebula, who teamed up and killed Bad Nebula. When all seems lost, though, all the dusted heroes return. Black Panther, played by Chadwick Boseman, Doctor Strange and his aide Wong, played by Benedict Wong, Spider-Man, played by Tom Holland, who got the biggest cheer. Yep. <laughs> He's such a teenage heartthrob, I never knew. I mean, why wouldn't he be? The rest of the Guardians of the Galaxy, including Groot, Star-Lord, Mantis, Drax, Falcon, played by Anthony Mackie, Winter Soldier Bucky Barnes, played by Sebastian Stan, everybody comes. Along with uh, Wakandan armies and Asgardian armies and armies of sorcerers. It truly is Return of the King at this point. We got our elves and our goblins and our trolls. Yeah, just everything there. It's when I saw Giant Man that it really hit Yes. Me. When I saw flying <laughs> horses and a giant go into battle, I'm like, I'm watching Return of the King here. 
But the ace in the hole is a returned Scarlet Witch, played by Elizabeth Olsen, who's back and she is pissed at Thanos for killing Vision, and her magic is more powerful than Thanos, causing Thanos to have his ship fire on Earth while killing his own troops, but also hitting the heroes and rescuing him from the witch. Then Deus Ex Captain Marvel arrives and takes down <laughs> Thanos' ship, and it becomes a game of football to get the gauntlet. Thanos finally gets the ball and is about to snap his fingers, but Iron Man gets the gems, and Tony sacrifices himself to use the gems to turn Thanos and all his followers to ash. With the dusted people restored and Thanos gone, Steve goes alone to return the six stones and Mjolnir to the past, but he never returns to the present. Instead, he jumps to the 1940s, where he reunites with Peggy Carter, played by Haley Atwell, and he spends his life with her. He arrives in the present day as a very old man, as he passes his shield and the mantle of Captain America to Falcon. And Thor gives rule of Asgard to Valkyrie, played by Tessa Thompson, while he goes off to space with the Asgardians of the galaxy, who seem to be searching for 2014 Gamora in present day, who's run off to somewhere, as credits roll... To no end credit scene. I heard some clanging of metal. There's a sound effect. Yeah. Yeah, that's like saying you stick around till the end of the Phantom Menace just to hear Darth Vader's respirator. You did. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't even have to wait for the opening credits to find out what's happened to Hawkeye. We all were wondering. Infinity War seemed to have everybody but him. What's he been doing? He's under house arrest. If you look at his ankle, somebody's keeping tabs on him. Presumably it's all over the Accords. Yeah, it's the same as Ant-Man. In Ant-Man and the Wasp, he was under house arrest. This is what they got for breaking the law in Civil War. And it's what was name dropped in Infinity War is that Clint and Lang, because they have children, stayed out of it and made deals. And yeah, half of Ant-Man and the Wasp was about that damn ankle monitor. Here, they're not going to do that. We just get a glimpse. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was funny, people from this trailer, because you saw the scene where he's helping a, a young woman shoot an arrow and everyone's like, it's Kate Bishop. I'm like, oh, it's obviously just his family. Like, that's got to be his daughter. Are they going to introduce girl Hawkeye in this one? I don't think so. But yeah, this is just his family. It's weird that his wife makes hot dogs with just mayonnaise on them. Not if you go to Russia. She doesn't even offer ketchup. That's like a special order to get ketchup on your hot dog. You don't do it in Chicago. It's against the law. Kevin Feige said this movie sets up the Young Avengers movie. That may or may not happen. It's not officially announced. Is that going to be a Disney Plus show? It could be. But here, I think we see Young Hawkeye if they decide to go that route. But I love the subtle way in which they all get dusted because Hawkeye turns from his daughter to his wife, turns back to his daughter, daughter's gone, and if you know what to look for, you just see the scattering of the ash that we know so well from the end of Infinity War. And this worked for me better because one thing I complimented Shazam for was giving us this human point of view of the superhero world. And Hawkeye, yeah, he can shoot a bow and arrow really good, but he's a human. Like, he doesn't have any powers. And so to be able to see, like, this family man react to the dusting, to me, that's just more emotionally impactful than, oh, there goes Bucky and there goes so-and-so and so-and-so. Like, seeing... On a human level, someone losing their family feels more tragic. Well, yeah, it's just so casual, really, the way that it happens. And he's all alone. I mean, he's way out there in the middle of nowhere. And so it's going to take him a very long time to figure out even what's happened to the world. It's a nightmare scenario. I think I've had nightmares that are like this, wandering around and no one's around. It just hits that note. And it sets the tone for where they want to keep us for the good first half hour of Endgame. We're really just going to ruminate on death again. They're not quick to erase the feelings of sadness that were created by the end of Infinity War. They do not want to say that that never happened. It did happen. 
Yeah, you say again, we get to ruminate on it. That was one of my problems with Infinity War is that we didn't get a chance to ruminate. It's turn to dust and roll credits. Here, I like this first 30, 45 minutes, whatever it is, which I heard people like after the film, like people next to me complain. They're like, well, it started out really slow. This is what I wanted to see. How do you deal with this failure? How do you deal with this tragedy of half of living life just disappearing? People that you love disappearing. To me, yeah, bring in that human element. I enjoyed this little part because we got to reflect on what happened. Ryan, who I went to the fan opening with, his complaint was that the opening was a little too slow. I feel like it's almost rushed because they have so much to do in this movie. I feel like we could have spent more time here. That being said, I saw this movie two times in two days. This is an epic. It's hard to immerse yourself in an epic two times in two days. And I was really tired the second day. I found myself more tired during the first hour and less tired during the next two hours. And of course, it's human nature to want to get through the feeling bad part. I don't want to sit here with my feelings about losing. That's not where I want to be. Let's get this going and get it back to the vibe that I want to feel. But I respect the fact that if you're going to trim this movie three hours in the studio mandated two and a half, this is what we would lose. I respect the fact that it's here because I think to set the tone, you need it. And it's a tease for what's going to happen to Tony. He's going to give a goodbye monologue to his melted helmet for Pepper. We think that this could be the end. We expect him to die, but this is a false start on that death. So we had that post credit scene in Captain Marvel. She shows up. They had that pager hooked up to the machine. I thought we were going to get a replaying of that scene here. Did that happen? And they're like, hey, go save our friend Tony in space. And that's how she knew to show up. That's exactly what I was thinking, too, as I thought much like at the end of Spider-Man, we saw a scene from Civil War. I thought we were seeing a scene from Endgame at the end of Captain Marvel, the scene where she arrives. No, that end credit scene takes place before this and she is sent i mean thor and rocket are there they know they were going to titan they are able to presumably give captain marvel a segment of space to look in and so she is off screen sent to rescue them it is not just oh my god captain marvel happens to be flying past it kind of played like that and then after the film i was thinking about it i'm like okay maybe that post credit scene in captain marvel set this up it reminds me of a moment in the abyss we're going to talk about that movie this year with the uh, retrospective i can't believe you remember any moment from that film oh yeah no i love that film and ed harris has a i'm almost dead moment and it's played very similarly like we spend a long time with tony making us laugh calling her blue meanie playing you know origami football or whatever but also preparing us that they're running out of air they're running running out of food, he lies down to die, and it feels almost like a gift from heaven. We don't need to know the whys of how she found them. It feels like fate that she found him, because like an angel of God, she just floats in and takes him home and solves the problem. And I figured he would get out of that ship really early because, again, trailers showed him on Earth. I talked to a couple people at work. They're like, do you think Tony Stark's going to die on that ship? I'm like, no, that would be really anticlimactic if he just died on that ship. Not unless that ship's at the very end of the film. (laughs) But what this does is now we're like, oh, Tony's not going to die. Like, they've moved it so that that expectation has changed. He has been spared. He has been saved. And so we're not thinking about that for a majority of the film. Whereas normally we might be obsessing, all right, when is Tony going to die? When is it going to happen? I was worried for Tony. When he gets back, I don't know if Robert Downey Jr. like lost a bunch of weight or it's just the way they filmed it. He's very 
emaciated looking and even see him hooked up to like an IV bag and he's not doing well. Keep in mind, they were in space for 22 days, I think he said, and they were just eating crumbs out of bags. So they were expecting to be home much quicker. And I think it's some CGI work, some subtle one that makes us look at him as a fallen hero. And of course, his spirit is broken as well. He knows they've lost. He's not ready to make nice with Steve and bury the hatch. I mean, he he's not going to fight him. They're not going to go into battle. Even after Age of Ultron, he's still like, I had the right idea by building a suit of iron around the world. He is holding on to that was the best idea because he calls out, when do we get to become the preventers and actually prevent bad stuff from happening instead of just avenging? Again, I credit the Russos. They did it a little bit with Civil War. They do it a little bit here. They take some of these really silly, questionable plot choices from Iron Man 3 and Age of Ultron, and they tie it together. They retcon things so that when you return to those movies, you understand character motivations better. He wanted that suit of armor around the world, and he will not go with them to fight Thanos. A, I don't think he's in any condition to, even with a suit of armor, but B, despite the fact that at the end of Civil War, we see him getting that cell phone and that message from Captain America, and it was Tony's choice in Infinity War to not dial the phone for Captain America. He said, I can't really do that. He's pissed that Captain America ran off and hid instead of what, going to jail? Signing the Accords? I don't know what, Tony is emotional. He's not thinking clearly. Yeah, it's suicidal, I would even use the word. When he takes the arc reactor off and hands it to Steve, that to me says he's not just done with Steve, he's done with the whole superhero business. And if it were not for Pepper and the child, I don't think that he would go on at all. He finds a new purpose through them and leaves all the avenging behind. And I thought they were setting up a... Iron Captain America, because I guess that just houses the nanobots now for him. He doesn't need it to live anymore. I'm like, oh, Captain America is going to put on that Iron Man suit. But no, that does not happen. We get another crossover piece, though. One thing we all speculated and kind of were chagrined about with the last movie, Captain Marvel, she's so powerful, she can do anything. I kind of love how she's like, oh, I'm going to go off and kill Thanos. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. We need in on this chick. You can't just be the whole series now we're coming with. They have a plan. They want the stone. She's about retribution and punishment. She is the one, though, who comes up with the idea, why don't you just get the stones and bring people back? I mean, this seems obvious, and Nebula is the one that knows where Thanos' garden is. She was an ally, and I had forgotten. I always thought of Thanos' children as being Stockholm Syndrome victims, like people that were loyal only because they had been abused, and that is true, but she really did spend a lot of time trying to earn his favor that's going to become apparent in this film, and so he confided things that he didn't confide to anyone else, including where he would retire after the work was done. Well, she has this wonderful speech about it, I think it's just there to remind us that Thanos experimented on her a lot, which we're going to see later, because she's like, he'll retire to the garden. Where's the garden? She has no idea. It's Rocket who's like, hey, I got this energy surge over here. I bet this is the garden planet. You mean Build-A-Bear. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, or product placement, you can get a Rocket at Build-A-Bear. <laughs> There are some weird product placements in here. Tony even calls him Ratchet at one point. Is that a Ratchet and Clank reference? There's some animal in that video game. I guess you guys will talk about it at some point. Oof. <laughs> We're looking forward to it so much. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Rocket is going to take everyone on their first trip to space. And it is a reminder that, yes, many people are about to go someplace they've never thought they would ever go before. 
It's about half of them. I found it interesting, the ones who had gone to space by that point. Yeah, like, raise your hand if you haven't been to space before, and yeah, you get, what, about three of them putting their hands up. Yeah. Captain America, certainly. Black Widow. Poor Rhodey. Rhodey feels out of it. I've got to say, I know they want to keep Don Cheadle in here, but he really struggles. You know, he is suffering from a debilitating injury. I guess they've modified him to the point that he can walk, but he looks hobbled. He looks lesser than he was before. He wears a prosthetic. I mean, it's like a very tiny Iron Man suit that allows him to walk. It's like leg braces that allow him to control. I like that he teams up with Nebula when they go on their time travel mission, because, yeah, they are the ones that have the modifications. Yes, and have paid the price. But when they get to this planet, Captain Marvel does a quick survey and finds there's no defense system. Thanos is not trying to protect himself anymore. I totally respect Thanos. He doesn't care about dying. He never did. He thought that his mission would be about his sacrifice, that he never expected to rule the universe in this state. And that's an important distinction to make because so many times when I talk to people about Thanos, they're like, oh, he's so evil. I'm like, he's really not evil. He just has an extreme idea about how to help. If you recall, I questioned and it became a big thing that summer. There were Thanos was right t-shirts that I saw at conventions and things. And here we see him. I don't think he wants to die. I don't think he's ready to be beheaded by Thor willingly, but he's also not going to fight too hard against it. What's he got to live for? Picking some jackfruit? I mean, he's hung up the armor like a scarecrow. He's living in a hut. He enjoys the sunrise. It's really weird seeing Thanos, yeah, in just a deep V-neck t-shirt on this planet. It's so weird because he's a big purple dude. Yeah, and I mean, he's walking funny, too. Yeah, his face is scarred. Something's happened. Well, that energy surge that they detected was him using the stones one more time. Not only did he use it to snap everyone away, but he used it to snap the stones away. I kind of laugh when he's like, I use the stones to destroy the stones. I laughed out loud. It reminded me of, we got to use an adamantium bullet to kill someone with an adamantium skeleton. I just guess... Fine, I guess that could work. The stones aren't powerful enough to not destroy themselves. Yeah, we saw last movie using the stones almost killed him there. So a second use, he is barely able to walk. I love that he's using the gauntlet like a protective glove to pick fruit. Don't want calluses. This scene did get me though. I mean, they come in and they chop that gauntlet off right away. And they are not messing around. And that's when we get the reveal that the stones are not in it. Thor aimed for the heart last time, and that's why they lost. So he's not going to make that mistake again. And it's one of the more graphic moments in the film. You can hear the audience, ooh, when the head gets lobbed. Oh, when he cuts that head off, and again, I'm really into this first act, because this does not feel like a heroic moment. These are heroes that lost, that are pissed. This feels like just revenge, especially from Thor. He gets that head. I get why they're mad. I'm, I'm not blaming him for that, but the way it's shot, the camera just kind of goes blurry. I guess it's from the point of view of Thanos' severed head, maybe? <laughs> but we see Thor just like walk away, and it kind of just fades to black, and it's not a triumphant moment. Again, if you thought that vengeance alone was enough, no, that is not going to bring back, it's not going to undo Infinity War. And here's the moment where we realize that it's sticking because they go five years later. And that was, I mean, even I was just like, <gasps> five years? Yeah, I thought, okay, Thanos is done with the MCU. We're not going to see him anymore. And now this is going to be about them trying to bring people back. I really thought, okay, we're done with Thanos now. Yeah, I did too. But five years, I mean, what does that put us at? That puts us at 2023 now? The timeline's been a little loopy. They're going to establish one for the premise of this movie, but we've talked about how it may not completely line up, but that's fine. We're somewhere in the next couple years from now. 
There's a heavy fog over New York City. What really gets me, what I find really interesting about all of the landscapes is how many useless cars and boats are just lying around with half the population gone and the other half presumably depressed with nowhere to go. The Mets don't play anymore. You just have every street lined with cars and trash. Yeah, when we see San Francisco, just garbage everywhere on those streets. Honestly, I wondered if this was too desolate for just half the population. It feels like you could have still had functioning governments and things. I don't know why the world would topple with half of the people gone, especially if it was a random half. You get that when you get to the support group because, yeah, there's half the people to pick up the trash, but they can't even pick themselves up. There's a guy talking about, yeah, I I went on a date and cried. You know, like, I can't pull it together and do what I used to. It is hard to go on. Yeah, his day cried when he got the salad, and then this guy cried when he got the dessert. Again, a nice little touching moment. And that is the director, by the way. That's one of the Russo brothers. Yeah, Joe Russo. This was a big deal, the first openly gay character in a Marvel movie, because he talks about going on a date with a man. And I guess this guy's a doctor, right? Because Joe Russo also had a cameo in Winter Soldier as the surgeon who operates on Sam Jackson. Did he? I don't know. It's not like Stan Lee showing up. I don't remember all those Russo cameos. And I'm not saying this is like great stuff that I moved to tears. I'm glad that there's this reflection, though, in a big superhero blockbuster. I felt like it was needed. This is the closure I needed for Infinity War. This is what I needed was people to be able to reflect on what happened and not just the shock of what had happened. And again, five years of this. We're only going to get a couple minutes before Ant-Man's blowing back in with a plan, but five years of sitting with your feelings and realizing it's not going to get better. I like that it's Captain America leading the support group. It's full circle from Winter Soldier, right? When he goes to that support group and meets Falcon. Yeah, he was that kind of guy. And it's a new type of leadership. Captain America has always been a leader. And so here he's leading a support group. It's a very small group. I would think even though half the planet is dusted, the cult of celebrity would still surround Captain America where that would be a standing room only support group. But it's a very small group. I don't think superheroes mean as much if half the world has been killed. I mean, I don't think you cheer people that lost. I mean, yeah, I guess there would be still some fans wanting autographs. We see Hulk gets them. Yeah, we see Black Widow. She's, I guess, running whatever's left of the Avengers at some point. You got those holograms that we've seen before because they're in different parts of the world or the universe maybe with Captain Marvel. But it's very small scale. She's the new Maria Hill, right? She just basically takes phone calls. I think she's the new Nick Fury or the Robert Redford. I think she's running things at this point. Well, she's like, Okoye, what are you doing about this underwater earthquake? Uh, nothing. It's an earthquake? (laughs) They happen? It's over? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there doesn't seem to be super villains that have risen out of this or the ones that are villainous. There's one of them that's taking care of it all. We have Hawkeye doing his thing. But by and large, the feeling of purposelessness is pervasive. Everyone feels like if we can't make them come back... And we can't make this feeling of losing go away. What else is there to do? Yeah, you see Steve Rogers. He's telling his group, hey, we got to get over this. But he's going to admit to Black Widow, we don't get over this. I must confess, there's a part of me that wishes we could watch the Marvel Universe continue from this point and see them rebuild their spirit in the shadow of that tragedy. Because that's what we've had to do after 9-11 and so forth. We've collectively experienced these tragedies And we don't have the luxury of time travel and going back and being able to fix Columbine and all of these things that have hurt our psyche so much. But it's a popcorn film. 
And here's where it's going to announce with comedy and one of their more fun-loving characters coming back in a very silly way. A rat hits a lever and let's just get it now. Is that what brings him back? Yeah. I thought this was just another deus ex machina like Captain Marvel showing up to save Tony and Nebula. It no, is. it is. Yeah, totally. And why not? I'm not advocating we need to create everyone a feel-bad Alien 3 experience. No, we need to get back to Marvel. Marvel is always best when they're lighthearted, when they make us laugh. We've had enough time. It's been half hour. It's time to get the plot going. You're right that Ant-Man is the most lighthearted character, but I don't feel like his return is lighthearted. There's a lot of dread looking at the memorials in San Francisco, and he's looking for his daughter's name. Has Cassie been living on her own for five years? Her mom and stepdad aren't there. Yeah, it's hard to say. I think she has. Judy Greer isn't here. Even at the end, when all the dusted people come back, Judy Greer isn't here. Off the invite list. You made sure of it, Artie, didn't you? You did the write-in campaign. (laughs) She was not on the purple carpet, but... Even after they come back at the end, we see Cassie with Hope and Scott. They're not going to bring Judy Greer into this. Did Judy Greer die in the five years in between? Maybe she got cancer. I don't know. We'll find out all this in Ant-Man 3. But I like that this is where they start. Scott has always been about his daughter. I'm glad his first thought isn't, let me find Captain America. His first thought is, let me find Cassie. And then his second thought is, let me find Captain America. Yeah, well, he looks at that memorial, which is designed very similarly to the Vietnam memorial that Maya Lin made, but he saw his name was on there as well, and he realizes they don't know that I was just in the quantum realm. They think that I'm one of the disappeared, and in fact, by being in the quantum realm, and this is a little hard because I forget, Scott is not the scientist one, right? He's a techie, but yeah, he's not a scientist. He modified that Ant-Man suit, but he wouldn't be coming up with his own. There's no Lang particles. Okay, I could remember how much we could expect him to figure out time travel. Because yes, he had five years that felt like five hours in the realm, and they gave him ideas about how time is different in one than the other. But they're going to very quickly, I guess because they have two big brains that can think on these problems, but they're going to very quickly invent time travel. And I don't want them to belabor the point. I wouldn't want this movie to be half hour longer. It gives us some sight gags with Scott turning into a baby or an old man and pissing his suit. But it is very convenient that basically Robert Downey Jr. just goes, oh, hey, Mobius Strip. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> well, before you get there, though, he Tony turns him down again. Yeah. Morgan is born. He's got his child. He's got his family life. And again, this is interesting stuff to me. Do you go back and try to save the world? When you have duty to your family, when you have a small child to bring up, is he still Iron Man at this point? Does he want to be? That is a thing. When you have kids, priorities change. When you have a family, priorities change. So it's interesting to see this stuff. He basically rejects them. As long as they don't talk shop, they could come in for lunch. This is what I really like. I said I had no expectations going in, but I felt like this is a last hurrah. And if it's going to be, we need to spend time with these people. We can't just see them in armor kicking ass. We need to see how they feel. We need to set up emotional but satisfying conclusions to these characters. So seeing him with Gwyneth Paltrow's Pepper Potts, they're married, living in a log cabin, the exact opposite of what you would expect him to do. I thought we were going to get a reveal that beneath it was a big tech lab or something. I was waiting for that to happen. A holodeck scene. No, but that's the point. I mean, that's the point when he took off that arc reactor is I am done with all of this. 
and I have something else to focus on. I'm happy to just play make-believe in a tent with my daughter. Then why'd he make a suit of armor for Pepper for their anniversary? I was hoping you could tell me that. Was that an old anniversary? I mean, yeah, it- I assumed it was an old one that Morgan found like in the garage or something. There was a time in Iron Man 3 where he had like more suits than humans on Earth. He had 42 suits. So was it from that era? I couldn't remember this blue suit. No, this is specifically a Pepper Potts rescue suit. That's the character's name, Rescue. Yeah, Rescue. Although in the comic, she doesn't have the blue coloring. But I got the impression that this was an upcoming anniversary gift. But you get a funny line. She never wears what I buy her anyway. But... Yeah, I agree. Creating time travel, very convenient. That Scott Lang is the one who comes up with the idea for time travel. Hey, all those theories about him going up Thanos' butt and expanding and defeating him, they weren't that far off. Scott Lang does come up with the idea to defeat Thanos. Based all on Back to the Future Part 2, though. I mean, again, he's chastised because, again, I don't think he's smart enough to really calculate. Not just that, they drop Hot Tub Time Machine, which is not a great time travel film. That's kind of funny. The Crispin Glover parts are best, but... (laughs) I think we will definitely need to talk about the rules of time travel in just a little bit. But for now, yeah, Hulk tries. It's not his expertise. Tony finishes it, and he's ready to go now. He is part of the team. And I got to quote Justin here. Half the world is gone. The governments are gone. But Audi is still putting out the latest, greatest car for Tony Stark to drive. You're saying he's living the simple life in a cabin. He's got that electric Audi or whatever that thing is. Again, there's weird product placement here. They do what they have to to pay for this extraordinary tab for the film. Where's the Kona? Where's Artie's Kona in this film? I wanted to say, told you so on one. I did accurately predict one thing. I had a feeling when we saw Mark Ruffalo enjoying being in the Hulkbuster that this would be the beginnings of Smart Hulk. At some point in the comic, he turns gray, right? And that was the determinant for how you can make between angry green Hulk and gray, super intelligent banner Hulk. Listen, there are so many incarnations of Hulk. Lots of Hulks. <laughs> but around the time of Secret Wars in the 80s, he was classic looking green Hulk with Banner's brain. But if you got him mad, he got stupid. And then after gray Hulk, there was... Unified Professor Hulk, which was a little bit of Grey Hulk's attitude, all of Banner's intelligence, and all of Green Hulk's strength. They've unified and split apart so many different ways. I was kind of bummed out, though, because on my fan screening, not IMAX showing, first of all, dead quiet screening because you could have heard a pin drop because the sound system was turned so damn low. AMC in Edwardsville, I hate you. Nobody could hear this movie. But second, I'm like... Did they cheap out on the effects here? We talked about it with Captain Marvel. We talked about it with Black Panther. Hulk looked really bad in this. When I saw it in IMAX, Hulk looked really good in this. So, Oh, I thought he looked good. You could see Ruffalo's likeness in there, and I liked it. Yeah, in the fan screening I went to, though, he was paler, and he looked more superimposed. I blame the projection. They didn't color calibrate that screen. Yeah. But the effects here look very good when I saw it on IMAX. I don't think I had a single effects issue. But I was thinking the first time I watched this, oh my god, one of their major characters, Professor Hulk here, and they cheaped out on the effects. This was the arc that needed to happen. I mean, I do think all the original Avengers come to terms. Many of them go and meet someone from their past. Banner goes and meets Hulk and realizes he's not an infection to cure. He's a part of me that I can use and to combine the best parts of himself and become smart 
wisecracking, talking, intellectual Hulk with a fan base posing for selfies. Dabbing? My 12-year-old, she's like, oh, that's cringy. Dabbing is not popular anymore. Well, you know, that's... Ruffalo's, what, 50-something? I mean, of course he's going to reach (laughs) for the thing that's not hot anymore. Speaking of not hot anymore, apparently, I guess he never got back together with Natasha. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to read what that relationship was, because in the last one, they have that awkward reunion that feels tension and feels like there could be a relationship there. And then I'm asking myself... How would that physically work if he's Hulk all the time? Exactly. That's why it's not working out. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, these things happen where we see a relationship start and then for whatever reason, they are time sensitive. Not only is it about meeting the right person, but meeting them at the right point. You know, if he hadn't flown off to space, who knows what would have happened. But things changed and they were different people by the time they were reconnected. And she's just so broken anyway. You can read her moods based on her hair. At one point, it's like five different colors. Well, she never got rid of those blonde rouge. I guess blonde's her natural color or she just dyes part of it red. She dyed it blonde. And then she let it grow out, and she never dyed it red. Oh, I guess she bleached it, so it it just stays that way. Yeah, so the tips were blonde, while the new hair growth was red. So while Captain Marvel's out getting a cosmic new (laughs) dew, Black Widow isn't even dyeing her hair, so it's all one color. Right. Captain Marvel's helping whatever local economy she got that haircut in. They need money. (laughs) She needed a haircut. She's just helping people out. I know, we're so Earth-centric. We're like, why aren't we important? But I guess if there were a billion other worlds worlds i can give her this pass yeah captain marvel calls it out you know the earth has you not every planet has you guys right i gotta go help them which again she's so overpowered yes they do find reasons i guess she just disappears at one point i don't even remember what happens to her but i'm like she'll show up when she's needed this is the moment she disappears actually we never see her again does she just disappear i don't even remember why does she just just to help people she is on the conference call and says i've got other priorities i don't know when i'm going to get back to Earth. This is a common storytelling technique that I feel is used very effectively here, is when you drop a character out of the narrative, and when they come back later on, it's a surprise. And I think they've done that perfectly here, because I forgot about Captain Marvel. They're going to focus on the original six. It's weird who they also bring around. Rhodey, Rocket, Nebula. It's kind of a strange motley crew, but it's mostly the original six, including bringing Hawkeye back into the fold, because, yeah, he's gone. It felt like a scene out of Deadpool with the Tokyo <laughs> Yakuza. With the Yakuza he's going after, yeah. Clint Barton, yeah, he's gone full Punisher, and he's just out there. What He's killing the bad guys because he's like, look, only half the people got to live, so why are there bad guys? Like, you don't deserve to live. And again, I want to underline, Thanos didn't rid the world of the worst of us. He didn't make judgment calls about who should live or who should die. The snap was indiscriminate. I may be dusted as well. It's not about taking half of the people out and having the good people left. So... uh, Hawkeye is just hurting. You know, he lost his entire family. At least Scott has his daughter. Hawkeye has no one. I feel that Thanos cheated, though, because he made the deal with Doctor Strange. Tony would survive. So he said half, but Tony, not Tony. I feel like Thanos said not me, too. We're going to find out Thanos does have an ego here. He's going to be pissed off that we're not all like, thank you, Thanos. Now we have double the gas per capita. I don't read it that way at all. Again, I thought he was waiting to die on that planet. Oh, we'll talk about, yeah, at the end, I think Thanos, he's mad that they're not worshiping him as a god, it feels like. But that's past Thanos. That Thanos that has not experienced the snap. So maybe he had more of an ego before that snap. 
Yeah. I mean, what other work is there to do? Again, he has the same predicament they all do. When nothing else can be done, what is the point of a superhero or a supervillain? Especially if you can't get Cinemax. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, I guess you just use your battle axe to open beer bottles and turn into the Big Lebowski. That's certainly what Chris Hemsworth is channeling. I don't know how he looked on the IMAX, Arnie, but this is the big effects flaw for me. Whenever they show Thick Thor without a shirt on, I'm like, ooh, that's a bad fat suit that they're trying to pull off there. Oh, I thought it looked fine, both versions, but you can tell when he's under, like, the bathrobe or just under a t-shirt that it's padding that does not move very much unless Asgardian fat doesn't jiggle. <laughs> yes. But, you know, Hemsworth was so happy. In Ragnarok, he finally didn't have to wear that wig anymore. Now, not only did they put a wig and beard on him and dyed it red. Yeah, that beard looked quite distracting. And at one point in the big battle, he's got his hair like done in braids or something. Like, it almost looks like a man bun. I don't know <laughs> what they were doing with his wig. It really was distracting. It's near the end where I really thought he'd dye that beard white and ask little kids what they want for Christmas from New Asgard. That sounds like a Thor movie to me. <laughs> so here's a real confusion I have. You guys went back and saw it all. Asgard blew up at the end of Ragnarok. Half of the people, or a lot of them, got on a ship that then was blown up at the beginning of Infinity War. Who are these refugees colonizing Scotland? I feel like this is a cheat here, because it really does imply that all the Asgardians got wiped out. But Meek, Meek has got to be the luckiest person in the universe. We thought he died in Ragnarok. He was still alive. He's still alive here. Korg's still alive. And they tell us half of Asgard's still here. I love Meek. He's sitting there eating a pizza. And Korg, that t-shirt he's in, that Hawaiian shirt, is actually the Hawaiian shirt Taika Waititi wore yes. to Comic-Con. <laughs> And I love Korg and Meek. They're like my favorite side characters. I wouldn't watch a Korg and Meek movie, but I'd like more of them. And that Korg is all upset that some Xbox gamer called him a dick. And so Thor <laughs> has to threaten to go and find him in his mom's basement. I did notice they're playing Fortnite, which Fortnite just released like an Avengers pack. So another product placement there. As long as Hemsworth is in this character, they're always going to play Thor for laughs. I imagine eventually one day, and who knows, maybe it will be Valkyrie if she indeed calls herself Thor, they will try to play it a different way. But as long as you have this actor, I've always felt like Chris Hemsworth is really, really good. He's just always been given shit detail. And this is no different. Like, he has to be all the comic relief and to be the burnout and to do the Jeff Bridges thing. It's funny, but it's about as helpful as him taking a bath in that Avengers 2 or getting on that gyrosphere in the last movie. It just, he always gets the dumbest parts. Well, I think they are afraid of trying to go back to that more serious Thor from those first two Thor films because those are not highly regarded, especially the Dark World. But yeah, they got to figure out a way to give him some kind of redeeming arc. I don't think it's going to really happen in this film. He never loses that weight. He never gets in shape. He's still joking around at the end. I think Ragnarok created the Thor people like and they're sticking with that characterization. Yeah, I mean, we called it as Guardians of the Galaxy when Ragnarok came out and they're going to just embrace that by the end of this movie. But Thor blaming himself. I mean, Thanos taunts him. You should have gone for the head. If Thor had aimed one foot higher, the snap wouldn't have happened. I kind of go with the spiral into depression. And while it's interesting to take Hemsworth, who out of all of the Avengers is probably the most dedicated to working out, even when he's not playing Thor, he does that workout regimen. And to put him in a fat suit is unexpected. 
Yeah, and he's always game. Again, I compliment this. I've never seen him give a bad performance. I've seen him underutilized in every movie he's ever done, from Star Trek to Ghostbusters. He shows up and he gives it his all. Unfortunately, he always just gets shit detail, and this is no different. But I guess it's kind of funny, and I don't want this to be a Thor movie. I want this to be a Cap and Tony make good movie. And they're really laying that on thick. When Tony rolls back into the picture and says, yeah, I invented time GPS, you can snap it on your wrist... They have a moment there where he says, anger is corrosive. I want to bury the hatchet. He gives Steve his shield back. And he says, maybe we should attempt this and maybe not die. And it's telling us in this moment, these are the two we should be paying attention to because these are the two that aren't going to live past this movie. I have no expectation that any of the other Avengers will die. I only believe these two are saying goodbye. Yeah, and again, my viewpoint is, how is this as a send-off? This is what you want. We set this up in Civil War. Again, it's only for MCU fans, so you know about the relationship, and you want to see them come back together for this final climax, and yeah, make good. But how much better would this movie be if it was called Avengers Time Heist? Yeah, (laughs) it would be. It is where the movie finds its second hour. It will be devoted to an Ocean's Eleven like plot, or Inception, I was thinking about. A very intricate multi-stage heist in which they got to get those six stones back and wield them to undo what has been done. It seems like no one understands this time travel stuff because they're talking about multiple timelines. Here we are to debate it, I guess. The way I understand that they explain time in this one, because every other movie got it wrong from Bill and Ted to Back to the Future to Hot Tub Time Machine, they're all wrong. According to Tony, who has invented the method they're going to use. Yes, this Mobius strip, and if you know what that is, it's this weird infinity symbol. So things just go on forever. So if you go into the past now, well, that's your future. So now that's the future and the future was the past. To me, it's just like, yeah, you can't change the future. I don't know if they're creating new timelines because the past is still the future too. It's if you understand that Mobius strip, it's just this weird symbol that goes on forever and there's no beginning, no end, no past, no future. I guess that's what they're saying here. I don't think they're creating like multiple timelines as long as they get those stones back into place. All right, I am not a physicist. It hurts my head. (laughs) But I have friends who are physicists, and I've actually had conversations with them. It used to be believed that Bill and Ted had the most accurate time travel representation of any film. It was the best, yes. But then there's something called the grandfather paradox that is a relatively new idea in quantum physics. If you decided to go back in time and kill your own grandfather, well, then your grandfather was not there to sire your parent who is not there to sire you, so you never existed, so how did you kill your grandfather? But if you never existed, you can't kill your grandfather, so you re-exist. So they now believed, this is a new theory of quantum physics that is like overriding the old one. I don't know if you guys remember, in the 70s, I was told that the dinosaurs went extinct because of climate change, and now I'm told they went extinct because of an asteroid. Scientists changed their theories. So now the theory of time travel is one of a multiverse and of parallel dimensions and that the past has happened. You can't change the past. If you travel to the past, you're moving in time, but now you have a new future in the past and your past has still happened. I'm still pissed that they took away Pluto's planet status. Yeah, fuck science and all their (laughs) changes. Nine planets in the solar system. I refuse to adopt new math. I refuse to go with it. Yeah, what I understand Tony to say, no matter what you do, you're still going in a linear line. Even if you're going back in time, that is still the future because you're determining the direction. And what he is 
proposing is actually different than what Tilda Swinton will say later when she talks about time breaking off in branches. But it's all the same quantum physics from the articles I was able to cram in in the past two days of actual physicists evaluating the science of this movie. It is all the same theory that, yes, it does become a branch. Your past, which would be the future, but you've already lived through it, is a constant. So why can they return to their own timeline instead of the branch they've created? That's the band that Tony gave them. That returns them to a time and a place. So it returns them to a timeline that they haven't screwed up. And see, this is interesting because I believe on some level, metaphorically, this will be invented. We will come up with a device that will allow us to shape our reality. Something will happen and that tragedy will continue in a timeline, but we will have the means through technology to just pretend like it doesn't. Meaning your mother died of cancer. Boop, let me hit a button. And now there's a hologram of mother and she never left us. And I do think that we will exist in a way where we can set the parameters of what we want to be. They're not changing time. They're just choosing to live in the timeline that makes them happiest is essentially what they're doing. Well, they're not even doing that because it feels like then they could just travel to a timeline where there's not a five-year jump and everyone lives. They're still going to that five-year jump and they're just going to bring everyone back. Yeah, what they're choosing to do is to say that the five years happened and that all these people returned. And that, in some ways, they're saying is more legit. But I heard Ancient One saying something about she's worried about what would happen to her if the stones disappeared in the meantime. So that's another timeline. And that is two people arguing different ideas about how time works. Here's the thing that kills me, though, is I'm not sure this movie follows its own rules at the end. No, I don't think it does, and I don't think it's worth debating, really, because that's not the purpose of this film. It's to reflect on what we've enjoyed in the last 10 years. Let's go do those greatest hits, which they're going to do. And that's what I felt when I came into this movie. My second expectation was if there is time travel... It's a celebration of what's come before. I expected them to go through even more timelines. I expected oh, yeah. to see even more history, but they're going to do a greatest hits and they're going to bring a lot of characters into times when I guess they were just off screen originally because those actors hadn't been cast yet. <laughs> yeah, Robert Redford was around for the battle in New York just off screen. Tilda Swinton was fighting Chitari apparently from the Sanctum Santorum. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all of this is cool. We get to see what we've seen before but from different vantage points. And I think that makes it neat in a Back to the Future Part 2 kind of way. I mean, I do think there's something interesting about that. Although Back to the Future, in many cases, was replaying the scene with another Michael J. Fox watching for the bushes. So this is different. We never saw how Loki was actually locked up in wrist cuffs and muzzled and taken away. We do see them watch figuratively from the bushes. I mean, when they first get to New York, I do love Professor Hulk having to reflect on his monstrous Hulk, like just smashing things and then having to try to repeat that. And it's so half-hearted. It was a good chuckle. That was absolutely great. He's like, rawr. The thing is, I thought it was going to be Back to the Future too. I thought it was going to be watching from the bushes. It's not entirely going to be, but it seems like it at first. And my favorite moment is when future Tony Stark goes up to the top of Stark Tower and we see that scene from Joss Whedon's Avenger where they're all posing above Loki and then Tony's finally like, we can't just stand around here posing all day. Let's go. <laughs> 
Yeah, let's break it down just so that, I mean, I think everyone's seen the movie. We know what we're talking about. But they realize that there are three separate missions, maybe four separate missions, three separate timelines, and they conveniently only have enough PIM particles, because that's a factor in this, to allow them to do this once. And I like that. That's good stakes. It makes it more exciting. Yeah, that's the problem with time travel is you don't want it just so they could do it over and over. You have to have plutonium that runs out or whatever. Yeah, this PIM particles are scarce because Hank Pym is gone. Yeah, you don't want it. The video game machine that with the constant reset button. I'm sorry, but when the colonel died, he left his seven spices recipe to somebody. Hank Pym needs to somehow say, hey, here's how you do this particle. Right. Have you seen Hank Pym? He's kind of a jerk. Where's Lawrence Fishburne? He knew how to do it, right? <laughs> I, maybe he was dusted. Again, we don't have a full detailed picture maybe judy greer was dusted we don't know who vanished who wasn't it's fine for this plot again you're right this is not a plot in which we need to focus on the intricacies of how time travel works it is a attempt to look back on the history of marvel movies and see why we love them and if you ever loved a character i dare say they'd come back in this and you'll love them again so it is the ultimate nostalgia piece And so we have the most important one, because there are three stones, is the trip to New York. So they're sending four people. They're sending Scott Lang, a questionable choice. He wasn't there at all during all of that. Hulk, Iron Man, and Cap. And of course, Hulk is given the, I guess because he's big, the thought is that he could just wrestle it away from the Ancient One. They think he's going to see Doctor Strange. And it's really interesting to me that the Ancient One stands there, and when Hulk shows up, she's like, not surprised he's acting for Doctor Strange. She's like, he's doing surgery a few blocks away. I never got, while watching the Doctor Strange movie, which I have many times now, that she knew everything that was going to come. I mean, she said, I'm not training you. She made him do the fight club stand outside the door for a long time. That's a real lot of hurdles to put in front of someone you know is going to be the best of you. I mean, in Doctor Strange, we find out that she's been manipulating time to stay alive so long. She has the time stone here. She is the ancient one. I just assume she knew how everything was going to roll. And yeah, maybe sometimes she has to pretend she doesn't know. We'll see Doctor Strange do that at the end. He can't reveal if this is the one in 14 million or whatever chances that they have to defeat Thanos. So she's not always going to reveal it, but I think she knows what unfolds. That's my take on her anyway. It would be hard to keep track of everything in all timelines. Maybe she's just having a senior moment. You know, I'll leave it at that. But yes, if in fact Stephen did give up the green stone, that is what the eye is that gives the strange their magic, it must have been for a good reason. She just basically concludes on faith I'll have to give it to you because Dr. Strange wouldn't have made such a stupid error otherwise. Here's my question. It feels like everyone's just grabbing stones in this film and like, yeah, here's a green stone, Hulk. Just put that in the palm of your hand. That's not how these stones work. Like, they kill you. That was the big deal in the first Guardians is that when Star-Lord grabs the power stone and he's got to hold hands with all his friends. And even then, he's like half celestial. So it allows him to not be destroyed by that stone. Here, again, it feels like there are some cheats throughout this film and this is one of them. I thought about that too. I mean, in Captain America, the first Avenger... Red Skull does hold the Tesseract at the beginning when he pulls it from the wall. When he tries to hold it at the end, he's 
teleported to become the guardian of the soul stone. So I did find it interesting. They never take the power stone out of its orb, though. They don't touch it. They have machines take it out and put it on the gauntlet that Tony makes later. It was nice to see Tilda Swinton. She was one of the few things I liked about that film. She gets a really cool punch where she knocks the banner out of the Hulk. They have to put the big green guy under a sun hat in a folding chair for a little bit. I like this moment. It wouldn't be how I would tackle it. I would have sent Ant-Man to steal it out of her necklace. I don't know why people are given the task. There are Hulk being here... Not helpful, considering the other Hulk is taking the stairs over at Stark Tower. I think it's because nobody knows Doctor Strange, whereas Captain America and Tony Stark know what they did after the Battle of New York, so they can follow the path of the Scepter. They can show their faces to people who know them. Nobody is going to confuse Professor Hulk with, take the stairs, take the stairs. I don't remember (laughs) Hulk being that verbal in 2012 either, but I believe his only words were puny God. (laughs) But... Right, but this stuff is all very fun, particularly what they do with the Steve Rogers and the repeats. And no, it's not going to go exactly as it's supposed to. The fact that he gets another elevator scene like Winter Soldier, that Brock Rumlow is back because he wasn't dead and he was a agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah, he was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., but HYDRA. That's established in Winter Soldier. That was a big deal, is that he ended up being a HYDRA agent. I, oh, I, HYDRA, I remember. But I thought he was called Crossbones. Well, that just, was after they were outed. Okay. But when they get in that elevator, yeah, my 12-year-old is like, oh, they're going to do the elevator scene again. That's one of my favorites. I'm like, but that took place at a different time. They don't do it here. I do love the resolution. Like, Steve just leans over to that guy, and he's like, hell, HYDRA, and he hands him the scepter. And that's a nod to the comic. If you remember a couple of years ago, it was a big controversy. It was revealed Captain America had been a Hydra agent all along. I don't know if it was a nod to that. I thought it was just a nod to Winter Soldier because that was a big deal in the MCU. Yeah, but to say, have Captain America say it. It's a clever way to not have to fight. Yeah, they were setting it up again just like that fight. And I love seeing all these actors back, Sitwell and Rumlow and all of them. But it made me wonder, in that timeline, how is that going to affect the Winter Soldier? Even if he gives the scepter back, Sitwell and Rumlow are now always going to think he knows about Hydra. And he's part of Hydra. Yeah, but again, that stuff is already the past. This is the future. Yeah, I don't want to think about the time travel stuff. They say they can't affect what's going to happen in the future by what they do in the past, so it doesn't matter. None of what they do with the wrap-up really sits well. It's not about that. Again, we're being rewarded for having sat through 21 films previously and can remember the details that they've established. What we're experiencing is a collective in-joke in which we remember good old times. Some of them good. Most of them good, but (laughs) not all of them. Again, my feelings about Dark World are are not positive. We'll get there in a minute. Of course, one of the gags that I see getting a lot of play is Tony Stark makes a comment about Captain America's ass in that 2012 suit. And that 2012 suit was a little bit tragic. Yeah, no, it's not a great suit. Yeah, I don't know if it's just the ass that looked bad. I mean, the whole thing (laughs) was, yeah, they modified it. Cap always had a long road to go from being unhip. When we originally thought about the character coming to the screen, there was lots of things that made you think, oh, this will be uncool. And this suit was that transitional (laughs) uncool suit. It's exactly what I would have expected an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. to design as fashion. It's like we have to make it like the comic book. And they got away from that. They ended up 
stylizing it and looking like Under Armour or something that people would actually wear out now. It's like he wore every outfit in this movie, though, because he wore the Winter Soldier stealth armor to go fight Thanos, and he wore the this set, and the ongoing joke of being America's ass, and he calls back to that later. I thought it was pretty funny. I think that's a nice send-off for... Chris Evans, now he can go and let himself go. He never liked the workout routine. He can <laughs> he can become thick Thor now. <laughs> but there was a preview before Avengers started. Will Smith is going to be fighting younger Will Smith in something <laughs> called Gemini Man. We get, I guess, another version of that here with Captain America. That's a lot of fun. And it makes sense that Captain America would just think Loki is looking like Captain America. We saw him do that earlier. We saw him do it in the Dark World. In our real world, chronologically, the first time we saw Loki appear like Captain America was there, but here they set it up in the scene where he was captured, and so Captain America just thinks he's fighting Loki when, in fact, he's fighting the real one who gets him with, Bucky is alive! Yeah, that what? Gives him a moment to knock him out, and then he touches him with the staff. Is he erasing his memory that he just told him that? Because I'm like, oh, because he can't know that if these timelines go on, but they don't care about how they're affecting the timeline, so I'm not sure why he hits him with the staff. I took it as he just knocked him out. Okay, yeah, maybe. If I gotta call out a flub, though, in Avengers, that mask was ripped off Captain America. Now, I know that for a stunt double fight, a mask is helpful. But how did Captain America get that mask back on to fight over that saber? I don't remember that. You're one of the few. Yeah, I don't think this movie would do well if you were watching the Avengers, stopped it, and then put this one on, and then started the Avengers back and continued (laughs) the time frame. This is changing things because we want to reflect on the past. And no, it would not proceed as the universe would. And in fact, that may be a plot point. I'll have that discussion when we get to the very end. The choice that Steve makes at the very end could actually be very, very bad for the Marvel Universe overall. Although it's sweet for him and Peggy. But while Steve does get the scepter, there's still the Tesseract. And is this setting up? I know what Tom Hiddleston's coming back in a Loki TV show for Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Is this setting up how he's able to still be alive? That's the only thing I can think of is it might be a period piece taking place in 2012 of where did Loki go after he grabs the Tesseract and teleports away? I didn't realize they were doing a show with him. Tom Hiddleston's going to do a TV show? Yeah, that's the first Disney Plus Marvel show is a Loki show. Huh. And they're swearing their shows count, unlike that Agents of Shields and Agent Carter and all that. The Disney Plus ones are going to count for the films. Huh. I hadn't heard about any of their plans for TV shows. Yeah, this is the biggest one. And so with him dead in the present, the question was, was he going to come back to life here Was it going to be a period piece? I think my biggest question walking out of the theater is where did Loki go? The answer, Disney Plus. And for $8 a month, you can find out. Yeah, and a lot of fans are going to, I have a feeling. If they're getting that caliber of actor to continue their work, that's going to be a very successful formula. That will be hard to screw that up, is what I'll leave it at. But here we get another product placement for Axe Body Spray. (laughs) Ant-Man has crawled down into the arc reactor of younger Tony. Tony Stark drives an Audi, not a Hyundai. Tony Stark likes the finer things in life. Tony Stark would not wear Axe body spray. Yes, this felt not true to the character. 
You know, and earlier there was a scene involving tacos that wasn't Taco Bell, but I don't know why you would include it unless it wasn't a product placement. <laughs> it was so useless. It's like the most useless scene in the movie. But again, I know they got to pay bills. I don't neglect them that. I mean, they had one for rocket insurance last time in Infinity War. I know they got to plug. This is a very expensive proposition they're putting forward. It's fine. I'm going to just say all the product placement is tossed off as jokes that more or less land, that are more or less effective. and. Yeah, Ant-Man basically stages a heart attack so that he can kick the suitcase away. And older Tony, disguised incognito as a SWAT team member, would get away. Except I think he says, I'm going for a slice. He's going for a slice of pizza? It's happened so quick. All we know is that Hulk busts out of Uh the stairwell. Yeah, that's what screws up this plan. This is where Hemsworth gets his only good thin Thor moment. Because while Tony's having a heart attack, Thor's like... I don't know if this is going to work. Puts Mjolnir on him, zaps him with lightning. Hey, it works. I had no idea. An improvised defibrillator. There's so many purposes for that hammer. Who would have thought? But all of this is fun. All of this I enjoy. And I like that there's an extra level. Because Loki is gone. I assume that meant, well, we have to chase after Loki. How would one do that? It's not going to involve Thor. It's not going to involve that at all. It's involving the most important relationship of this movie. And these directors are very good at telling us what's most important. Tony and Steve, they've got to work it out. They still haven't worked it out. Steve was grateful that he came back and gave him the shield. But I don't think the relationship fully heals until Steve trusts him to improvise and go back to 1970 New Jersey Camp Lee. I agree completely. This is the bromance moment of them getting back together. This is where the wounds of Civil War are finally put aside. And Scott doesn't understand what the hell's going on. He's like, I don't know what you guys are doing. He didn't even know what an Infinity Stone was. I mean, he never got involved in them. So it's strange that they brought him along into New York. I would have used him elsewhere. Well, they got to get three stones in New York. So you got to have more people. And he's a thief. He's good at stealing things, heisting things. But they go back to 1970. This isn't just about the bromance of Steve and Tony. I mean, I feel like this is the crux of the most important relationships. We're going to bring Peggy Carter back in, and we're going to do a lot more stuff with Tony and his dad, which has always been a theme running throughout whenever Iron Man shows up. Hell, we're also going to get our Stan Lee cameo. He's going to drive by. Was Stan Lee a hippie? Would you classify him as an actual 1960s smoke-a-doobie? No, no. He wasn't a hippie. He was a World War II vet, and he became a big proponent for peace and avoiding war in the 60s. But he didn't have the long hair, and he wasn't, I, I don't think he was smoking pot. Understand something. When he created the Fantastic Four that created the Marvel Universe, he was 40. Mm-hmm. So in, he turned 40 to 50 in the 60s. That's outside the age range of a hippie. Sure. But he certainly had the ideals that he put forth in his comics of equality and peace. So he was on the side of the hippie. Yeah. The hippies loved his comics. There you go. The spirit, he influenced them. Therefore, he has the right to drive by in an Oldsmobile, flash the peace sign to all the military people standing guard at Camp Lee. I love the Nuff Said bumper sticker. Sure, yeah. Make love, not war. Okay, well, we want to see a war. Thanks, Dan, but we still got the (laughs) second half of this movie to get through. And you're right, this is where we're going to see all the characters really do touch on things from their past. But this is where we see some of the most important one. I think the most important one is Tony and his father. And we're going to see that line all the way through Tony and Spider-Man. I mean, it's a theme that goes into other characters. 
Yes. No amount of money ever bought a second of time is something that he basically pulls out of thin air when he is confronted with his father. He gets the Tesseract relatively easy. He's got the Google Glass. He's got the Iron Man hand that can carve right in and grab it. And there just happens to be a suitcase lying around. Just stuff it in there. Nobody's calling security on him. He could walk away, except there's his dad. And he's got to make peace with his absenteeism and and how he felt about his dad being so hard on him. And they didn't get Dominic Cooper back. I mean, you could have gone either way, right? You could have up-aged Dominic Cooper or de-aged John Slatterly. They go with John Slatterly here, which is interesting for a reason I'll discuss in a moment. It's perhaps one of the least believable aging de-agings I've seen in Marvel. I don't know. That Michael Douglas one we're going to get. I thought that would look pretty good. He might have been a CGI creation, I thought. Well, it's interesting to see... Here, Howard Potts, which is the name Tony grabs, talk with Howard Stark, and Tony isn't born yet. His mother is pregnant, and Howard is having concerns. She apparently likes sauerkraut. He's bringing home a can of sauerkraut. (laughs) Very strange. I didn't know how to make of that. Is that a thing? I've heard of pickles and ice cream. Weird cravings are just... Yeah, weird cravings. The reason Howard runs into Tony is because Tony's on one of those underground levels in the bunker that we saw from Winter Soldier. Howard's down there and yelling for Arnim Zola. Right. I'm a little confused because S.H.I.E.L.D. grabbed Arnim Zola in World War II and kept him around, but he was Hydra because when we go to that bunker in Winter Soldier, it's the Hydra Arnim Zola computer algorithm thing. It made me wonder the first time I watched this if Howard Stark was Hydra. Oh. No, I never thought that. I knew at some point Zola switched allegiances, and I didn't know what Howard knew. Again, he's got an enemy right here. He's a little bit distrustful because Tony's got one of those beatnik beards. You know, he looks like Mungo Jerry, but... Not the Bee Gees. Yeah, I thought it was funny. In our day and age of facial hair and beards and man buns... Yes. Yeah, that little goatee was considered like a hippie thing. It was a nice cultural detail about 1970 and how that was a political statement to have a goatee. Uh, Now it's, yeah, who's thinking about these things? And it's noticed by the actress Yvette Nicole. Brown. I saw her in the elevator and I'm like, I know that actress. She's the one. Yeah, who was that? Because I'm like, why do they keep focusing on her? Is that some Marvel character I'm supposed to know? She played Shirley in Community. Okay. I know they had, yeah, the security guard, I think in San Francisco, was a community actor as well. Yeah, he's the one who was from The Hangover. Yes. And Transformers. And fortunately, they don't let him talk here because he has only one kind of delivery. But this actress, I had to look her up. I kept thinking, who is she? And they focused focus on her so much, I'm like, am I supposed to know her? Was she in another movie? Nah, they just love bringing in community people. I mean, they brought in Abed and Winter Soldier and all that. So there's a community nod or two in here as well. And keep in mind, these guys are TV. So they have those contacts when they want to call up a friend. Or more than likely, now that they're making big Marvel movies, their old co-workers are like, get me in on this thing. I'll do anything. All right, you be the lady in the elevator. And that's what we get here. Every TV actor using all of their clout and their agents to land (laughs) walk-ons. I thought the bigger deal is we actually see Jarvis, that computer voice we've always heard, that AI. It's based on an actual butler. All right, this is monumental, guys. This is the first time ever that a Marvel movie has acknowledged a Marvel TV show. Because in Agent Carter, the TV series that ran for two seasons... I watched an episode. Dominic Cooper played Howard Stark. It makes sense. He was Howard Stark in the first Avenger. 
and he had a butler named Jarvis. Now, that's from the comics. I mean, Tony's butler was Jarvis when they updated him for the 21st century. They made his AI Jarvis, and they'd retconned it in the Agent Carter TV series that Tony named Jarvis after his dad's driver. Although Jarvis is an acronym. I mean, it stands for something. So they must have worked that out. Well, we'll make the J work somehow. I work in IT. We do that all the time. Come up to the word first and then figure out the meaning. I sat in a meeting and said, we're going to call it Phenom. What can Phenom stand for? (laughs) That's one way to do it. So I'm sure Tony came up with a way to name it Jarvis. But this is the first time. I'm sorry, Chloe Bennett. I'm sorry, Ming-Na Wen. This is the first time an actor from a Marvel TV show shows up in a Marvel movie, the guy playing Jarvis. Okay. Yeah, I thought we might get, because I know he's on the TV show, Agent Coulson returning for this last hurrah. He doesn't even make a comeback. He died again, though. It's really confusing. Oh, he's dead again in the show? (laughs) Do not tell me Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. seasons six and seven are going to take place in the five years where half the population is dusted. I just don't believe it. Did he get dusted on the show? No, he just died. That show should be dusted. It's horrible. It's still going? (laughs) It's still going for like two more seasons. God help us all. Anyway, it's easy enough to ignore. Meanwhile, Steve is trying to meet the real Peggy Carter. She's never forgotten him. You know, he is running away because security is looking for him. He got his PIM particles because he did prank Hank with something about the mailroom having a radiation leak. He ducks in. She's still got his photo. There's still a picture... Of Skinny Steve. Exactly. Not the icon as the scrawny kid from Brooklyn. And that tells you all you really need to know about her personal life. I didn't need to watch the show to know she never moved on. She never found another guy. But she did move on in the movie. I mean, Mm -hmm. she did get referenced as being married at one point. Did she? Yeah, with kids. I couldn't remember that. But I know she does die, right? At some point, yes. they established that he tried to find her in old age. Yeah. In Winter Soldier, they met her with Alzheimer's. She was bedridden. Yes. And we found out she did have a life. Okay. Well, I like my version better. I'm just going to remember it that way then. I didn't remember it that way. I took from this photo that she was married to the job and would never marry another man. And then we had the funeral in Civil War with her niece, Sharon, who we never see again. You got to think they were setting up one of two options, right? He could be with Sharon or he could be with Peggy. I don't think Sharon, despite the kiss they shared in Civil War, ever had the impact of him constantly saying, I never had that dance. Right. But yeah, Steve could go and talk to her. He realizes it's probably better to get those PIM particles up to Tony and get out of there. But I think it puts the germ in his head about the life he could have had and probably takes to heart that Howard Stark message of no amount of money has ever bought a second of time. I don't know that Steve hears that. But it is repeated in the obituary at the end. It's been hinted at the whole time, though. We saw in the early days he was carrying around this compass with Peggy's picture. When he's fighting 2012 Captain America, it falls out. And 2012 Captain America is like, where did you get this? And then now he's seeing Peggy Carter. I walked in thinking this movie would end with him going back to Peggy Carter in the past. Every single moment of this is like, yep, I think they're setting that up. Yeah, the whole reason they go to the 70s is to set that up. I wouldn't let go of my theory about Red Skull, but it's obvious that that is where they're leading us to. And the right ending. Well, he's going to confront Red Skull off screen, at least. We'll talk about it at the end. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to Asgard in 2013, because that's where Thor and Rocket are going. If we must go back to the Dark World. I would have used Rocket this way. Again, if someone's got to pilot the Guardian ship... 
let it be the raccoon. I guess he's so small, you wouldn't notice him scuttling around. You see the shape Thor is in? You gotta have someone else. Thor and Rocket bonded, though. Yes. Those two had the adventure together last time. Sure. Sweet Rabbit. I see them as being friends, and if Thor had to go back and see his ex, who he's very broken up about and still can't talk about without babbling, then maybe take a buddy. Yeah. Help me out with Dark World, because I'm never going to watch it again. (laughs) Don't. It's bad. Jane got infected with that ooze, the ether, which is a melted reality stone. How did they ever get it out of her? The Dark Elves brought it out of her by making her levitate and pulling it from her body because the Dark Elves wanted the ether for themselves, so they had the power. They made her levitate. How is Rocket getting it out of her? A needle. If it were this easy, why did it take so long? Because he has a sci-fi needle to extract it. Okay. I don't know how much time I want to spend. I'm shocked that they get Rene Russo to actually come back. I guess they did. This isn't a CGI creation. But again, having that reconciling moments with parents is a theme throughout this film. And it's nice that Thor does get this little moment to talk to his mom right before she dies again. Yeah, and... We see him sneak past Loki, who's in the jail cell. Yes, that got a big laugh. So in that reality they went to, Loki still got arrested at the end of Avengers 1. But it's a nice moment for Thor to realize he's not a failure. I honestly think the reconciliation with the Hammer is almost more important than the reconciliation with the mother, who never did much as a character. But she's good. I wanted to celebrate that Rene Russo is better than Anthony Hopkins ever was. I'm glad it wasn't him. (laughs) Because they could have gone down that route. He's a bigger name. He's a bigger star. We forget Rene Russo was ever in a Marvel movie. But he had that moment with his dad. It's nice that it's with the mom, and it's nice that it's an actress that, yeah, could pull it off. And Hopkins is always terrible as Odin. He was never good. <laughs> he never had one good scene. Here, Russo sells what I would call the movie's best line. Everyone fails at who they're supposed to be. The measure of a person is how well they succeed at being who they are. It was exactly what Thor needed to hear. I like that she could just see through his lies really easily. She was raised by witches. Well, apparently she could see everything. Yeah, I didn't know she was a witch. But with love, like not with suspicion. Like, I know you're not my son. I can see you have two different colored eyes and you're acting strange and I'm not going to buy your lies. But not unlike Tilda Swinton, I'm going to trust that you have the right reasons. I'm going to put faith in you because I trust in you. And so eat a salad and goodbye. (laughs) Yeah, and he takes Mjolnir, which, again, a great moment, holding his hand out, Rocket's wondering what he's doing. I guess that's why Steve Rogers has to take Mjolnir back at the end, because Thor needs to have that hammer, because, again, the whole time I'm like, well, now Thor doesn't have his hammer at all, but that gets reconciled. I was confused, because, first of all, I associate Thor so much with that hammer that I felt like they were going to find some way to undestroy it. Yes. But yet with the rules they set forth here, if you can't take the stones, you can't take the hammer. You'll never sell as many axes as you will hammers. I just <laughs> I know that from just a marketing standpoint. Thor is the god of thunder and he swings a hammer and that needed to exist and it was just so right. And again, it helps him from this point forward. He's still fat. It'll take a while to look different, but he acts different and he's ready to fight. Yeah, he gets his confidence back. Yes, and it's very, very nice. It's like the Thor is Dumbo's feather to go to the other Disney movie <laughs> of the spring. Now on to Morag. This one I got real problems with. Widow and Clint have never been to space, ever. <laughs> We see them stand on this 
you know, it's like a circular platform and some metal stuff comes and that's what creates the tunnel. He's holding in his hand a miniaturized version of the Guardian ship. I don't know how that happened. Ant-Man tech. I don't know how he unminiaturizes it once he gets there. Even though they didn't have a lot of pin particles. Right, but... He may have had those discs. Remember in Ant-Man 2? Aren't those pin particles, though? Nah, they're different. They're the little discs that can shrink objects. Yeah, but they have pin particles. That's why you can shrink and grow stuff. I'll go with Arnie's thing. He had some device to make it big when they got there. But why would you trust him and her to fly it <laughs> when you have Nebula right there? And Rocket could have come, too. I do know why for a story reason. I'm not stupid. Calm down, Stuart. They do say something when Nebula and War Machine leave they say something about the coordinates being plugged in. So I don't think they fly. It's on autopilot. Anyway, before they go off and do what is dramatically necessary, if for no other reason than ScarJo is done. No, she's not. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe not for a prequel, but for the future. We have a little something for a roadie to do. He basically gets to knock out Peter Quill and give the tools of thieves to Nebula so that she can steal the stone of power. Infinity War, having watched it many times, I find it to be eminently quotable, and despite the fact that it ends in tragedy, it's a funny film with all the sweet rabbit stuff and all of the odd couplings they do. This movie, because it's after the snap, does not have as much humor, but perhaps my favorite joke is when they're recreating the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy to come on and get your love, and Peter Quill's dancing. And they cut out the music? And then they cut to what it looks like to somebody on the outside. Yes. Just this idiot dancing around. Arnie, I was surprised how much humor was in this one. I thought it was going to be a much more dour film, and after that first act, they don't really have a problem starting to make jokes again. Marvel, not DC. I mean, that's just... Yes. <laughs> DC would have wallowed... Marvel will never wallow. They can get sad. They can get dramatic. Beheading Thanos would have been the climax if this was DC. Yeah, but there is a difference. And I can like both. I'm not making a distinction about what is better, but I do think Marvel is always going to be more popular by following that route. You can always make more money by making people smile than making them cry. I do feel bad for Star-Lord how they just take him out here, though, when he's laying there on the ground while they take the stone. Chris Pratt gets like a special guest star kind of feeling. I feel like he maybe had two days on this set. He doesn't do much. Every time we see Star-Lord, it's pretty much with the mask on. And my belief is if the mask is on, it's not him. And I get it. He's had movies to shine. This ain't one of them. Knock him out. And that's it. That's all that we really needed him for. But it is surprising considering how large he loomed in Guardians of the Galaxy. That this is so much about Nebula. It's actually kind of nice. I kind of like the fact that I'm getting to know a character that I never paid any attention to. Yeah, I was really intrigued to learn more about Nebula after Guardians 2. I thought that did a lot for her character, making her more rounded and more interesting. Now look, they had these scripts all written. I don't know how many changes they made after the reaction to Infinity War. I do know there was a backlash against Star-Lord because he gets emotional during that fight with Thanos and people blamed him for the Avengers losing. And I remember showing Infinity War to my girls and the eight-year-old who... I can't say it too loud in case she hears me, but she's in love with Star-Lord. Not Chris Pratt, but the actual character Star-Lord. Sure. But she, like, after seeing Infinity War, she's like, I hate Star-Lord. Because she even recognized that he screwed things up. And so I wonder if that was something on their minds, that people had this negative reaction to him. Well, see, I think every character had a moment where they could have affected the outcome. And that's why all of them blame themselves. Every single character thinks they're the reason it didn't work out. I mean, some of that's egocentrism. I mean, that's, you're not the only one, but I can understand why everyone has guilt. 
because they made choices that led to a very bad outcome. But I don't think Star-Lord did anything worse than what anybody else did. He got emotional. After Guardians 2 and things, I don't have the same affinity for Chris Pratt that I had back with Guardians 1. I liked him well enough in Infinity War. I thought he was funny with the one's upsmanship with Thor. We're going to get a moment of that here later on. But no, this isn't his movie. He's going to get knocked out. I thought we might have more cameos. I thought Korath might show up because he was in Captain Marvel. Jimin Hansau is still around. And then I thought we might get Ronan the Accuser because he was underused so much in Captain Marvel. I thought maybe they brought him back just to remind us who he was before he would show up here. But neither of them come back. Not that we need more people back. You know, I feel like Wong. How much more do you need? Like, <laughs> this is it. I'm fully sated with what's on the plate. If they were a side character to one of the original Avengers, you know, Robert Redford, he's going to get a cameo. If you're after that phase one stuff or the characters introduced in phase one, not as important. And we don't know what's on the cutting room floor. Obviously, not everything they filmed is here. And when this comes out on home viewing, there's going to be extras. And who knows? How many Easter eggs are there? I didn't stop and freeze frame all of these battle scenes. You can't. You're in a movie theater. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I am not having any problem. I actually think it should be complimented how expertly they're using all the characters they have and when they use them. I don't feel like this movie is overly confusing, despite how intricate this time heist plot is. It would be very easy in lesser directorial hands to have this turn into a mishmash along the lines of X-Men Last Stand. Here's the moment where it gets a little bit convoluted, because I'm just giving this movie a pass, and it's time travel logic. I don't even want to think about how it actually works. Of course. But here... Past Nebula is able to tap into future Nebula like they share the same Wi-Fi connection, I guess. And so Thanos, in the past, past Thanos, finds out that the Avengers are gathering these stones to thwart this mission. And so he's got to stop them. And so they kidnap future Nebula, replace her with past Nebula. And do they have extra pin particles? Because they're going to have to shrink Thanos' ship to bring that back through the time machine. Well, I, I, let's not think about that part. Yeah. I don't care. It, <laughs> okay. it comes back and it destroys everything in its path. So maybe by being big, that was why the time quantum tunnel got destroyed. Not important. Yeah, kind of important if you're going to set up a rule and then not follow it. They go to the 70s to get more pin particles. So it's kind of important. <laughs> Yeah, it is not explained. It is, listen, these screenwriters, as you said, Stuart, are doing a great deal of juggling, and I feel they're making it seem effortless when trying to have this many characters in a story and give them their due is hard work. Yeah. But how bad Nebula brings Thanos and his entire army to 2023 from 2014 is not explained. And it's fine. It wouldn't be worth it to have three extra minutes of her juggling around getting a pim particle. I just look, look, it doesn't ruin the movie for me. I'm just this is one of the more glaring plot holes. I think you could have a lot of plot holes with this film if you want to think too hard about it. I don't because that's not the purpose of it. It's go back in time, relive some moments and just tell a fun story to go out on with these characters. And I really like this moment for Thanos. I mean, the way he comes walking back again, I thought he was out. I didn't think we would get back to him ever. He comes back. They're fighting some war. It doesn't even matter what. And he's in full armor. Got that sword. He's just wiping off that blade. And when he sees the moment of his death, he's not angry or upset. He is proud. Destiny fulfilled. He's not a hypocrite. I can die. 
It doesn't matter who dies. My mission succeeds. He's a proud deliverer of a future that is inevitable. By bringing everyone back, the problem that Thanos was addressing will work itself out in some other war, in some other genocide, in some other way. And this is also how I thought they were going to bring Gamora back into the main timeline. I'm not sure what happens to past Gamora by the end of this film, but this is like right before she's sent to go after the Power Stone and she's already good. Like she's already against Thanos at this point. She always was. My sense was that she was never in alliance with him, or at least that was the story that she told Peter later was that she always was plotting against him, or at least it seemed that way. That was my impression. It was kind of half and half. She was his daughter. She did what he said. She followed his orders. But she knew giving him the power stones was a bad idea. Yeah, she did not want him to succeed in this plan. And so when Nebula, without even wanting to, broadcasting the enemy's plot and uh, memories of future Nebula, you can see the look of concern on her face that, "Uh uh-oh, I was just hoping this was a wild goose chase. And now I've got to align myself with future Nebula to stop this from happening. This is where Thanos changes his mind, too, because Thanos' motivation shifts. He was successful in wiping out half the universe. Younger Thanos finds out, hey, I was successful in that timeline, but they're trying to undo my work, those ungrateful wretches. Yeah, I mean, he'll give a lot monologue. I think a very good one later when he's sitting there baiting them about you can't eliminate half of life and expect the other half to thrive. They will always remember. Nostalgia is the killer. The desire to want to relive and say that past will always be the driving force. I mean, he may be saying what's going to happen to Marvel in the future, that nostalgia is the killer. We're always going to want Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. and the other films will not be as successful. I do think that that's worked in there in a meta textual way. I do think they're talking about that. This movie is driven on the engine of nostalgia, and he is the man that is against that. If he's a villain of anything, he's a villain of looking back, but he knows now saving half the planet just means that they become full of despair, don't live to their potential, and you might as well just start with a new universe. So that is what he is going to do. He is going to let them get these gems and wield that power and then he will sneak in there and utilize it to create the world that will be grateful to him. But is that the same mission he had last time? Because last time I got that he was kind of an environmentalist. Again, like Samuel L. Jackson's Valentine in Kingsman, killing half the people because we don't have enough resources. Now he's going to kill everyone so that they are grateful to him because they won't remember what was lost. It feels like a shift in motivation. I think that he sees that's the only way to really succeed is he wants living things, I can't just say humanity, but living things throughout the universe to thrive. And so if you're just caught in the past and you're always time traveling, whatever, trying to seek revenge, trying to restore people, that's going to happen and it's going to ruin his plan. So yeah, it's recreate the universe. Maybe he gives everything half the sperm count so they can't populate as fast. But this is the only way for his plan to actually work from his point of view. The way that I read it is he is an enemy of memory and really intelligence and learning and ignorance is bliss is his philosophy. And yeah, you could read in there that maybe he wants them to bow down to him. I didn't see that as quite so literal. I don't think that he wants a universe that is going to worship him as a king. I think that he realizes the universe he created by killing half was one that was not functional. That was just depressed and not going to ever pull it together. 
Speaking of depressing, let's get to the most depressing planet. One final stone to get. <laughs> yes. The bleakest place of all the places in the universe, the center of misery, Vormir. And I guess they know this is where the stone is, but they don't know what they have to do to get it. Because, yeah, Black Widow and Hawkeye, they're just like, where's that stone? Hand it to us. Nebula should be here, but Nebula has nothing she loves to lose. And nobody loves Nebula that much either, except Gamora. And Gamora already made this bargain. Right. And so I guess you just have to just go with it. I do, particularly if Scarlett Johansson is reluctant to be doing many more of these movies or any more of these movies. Yes, I'm aware that she is supposedly signed on for a solo film, but it's not like Marvel couldn't be lying to us. It could be a prequel. I wondered if it's a prequel. I wondered. They are so good about creating fake trailers and things. Right. I'm not above them putting out fake information campaigns to throw us off the scent. Whatever it takes, right? That's the philosophy. <laughs> I guess it's good that Clint's family was dusted because this would be an awkward moment. You got to sacrifice what you love the most. And I guess since his wife's gone, it could be Black Widow. They got some kind of past. At least they keep referencing Budapest, which, yes, was a reference they kept making in that original Avengers one. I have some friends who have a problem that you go for the soul stone. It's a soul for a soul. You must sacrifice what you love. There's no sacrifice here. Well, there is. They fight over it, though. Is it you can sacrifice your fifth or sixth greatest love? Like, if I went there, could I throw Stuart over instead of Marjorie? I mean, <laughs> well, no, I think Black Widow works because his wife is gone. I remember, the dusted people haven't returned yet, even though they're technically in the past. It gets confusing. But yes, his wife is gone. So Black Widow, again, they implied some kind of relationship until Age of Ultron, where you find out that Clint's married and has a family. Yeah, I'm not sure what to make of this. The way I understand Red Skull, or the floating red guy, because these people don't even recognize him as Red Skull, I guess, because it's not played by Hugo Weaving anymore. Yeah, I mean, how would they know the Red Skull? Because World War II happened, and I would think every child that came afterwards would be taught the histories of Hydra. <laughs> but anyway, in that context, if there's just something red and skeletal floating in the air, maybe you don't link it with the World War II villain. Basically, what he is saying, I take to mean it would not work for you to throw Black Widow off of the cliff. You have to throw Linda Cardellini off the cliff. It has to be your child. It has to be your daughter. It has to be you parting with the thing that you most love in order to get the Soul Stone. So this is a sacrifice that should not work, particularly since he's not the one casting it off. She's voluntarily jumping and suicide. Not the same thing. They've fudged this rule because they want to give the most surprising death of the movie. I mean, I was not thinking because they said there was a solo movie. It just never occurred to me that this was the end of Black Widow. I said coming in, I thought they'd kill Iron Man. I thought Cap would go to the past. And I thought they'd kill someone extraneous like Hawkeye. <laughs> I'm sitting here breaking my arm, patting myself on the back for the Hawkeye call. And nope, I got it wrong. And Yeah, these were two. I wouldn't have betted on dying in this film. But as soon as they go here, I'm like, oh, someone's got to sacrifice. Who is it going to be? I thought it might be Jeremy Renner because it's just Jeremy Renner. They didn't even want him for the future Mission Impossible. Or born or anything, really. Or born. yes. <laughs> it's just always the leftovers, Jeremy Renner. But honestly, this scene doesn't have any emotional impact on me because I'm still believing 
thinking that Captain America will come back to this point <laughs> and sacrifice himself to bring her back when he faces Red Skull. I am so certain of this that I'm like, yeah, okay, this is for now. Just like Gamora, this character will be coming back from the dead. Well, if that stone is in existence, my take is that person cannot come back. They traded their life for that stone and there's no going back on that death. Here's the thing, a soul for a soul. So it's like, can I bring the soul stone and be like, yeah, I want Black Widow back? Mm -hmm, A receipt. Yes. Does it work in the consumer way? You got 90 days to return it. (laughs) Because they try. Hulk will try. He will say that when all the stones come back and he finds out and has a little bit of a... I mean, it was a love of his life. He does throw a bench out into a lake, but he basically says, I'm going to try... And for whatever reason, now that I'm looking over all of this, I do wonder, maybe Scarlet just didn't want to play this role anymore. And if they do have someone play it, it'll be a different actress in a different time or something. Maybe, or maybe it's her in a solo film, but she didn't want to go forward. Who knows? It's hard to say. But Kevin Feige has said phase four and beyond will not be linear storytelling. They're going to do more Captain Marvel period piece type stuff. So maybe that's what they're planning. I mean, if they could get Chris Evans to come back, they could do a whole story about him returning the stones. That could be a whole movie. I wish I felt more. I felt more for Gamora's death. Oh, yeah. I really felt bad when Gamora went over that cliff and died. When they do it with Black Widow, I'm like, I wish I felt more. I love Black Widow. I love Scarlett Johansson in the series. Ever since the first Avengers, she's been one of my favorites. And I thought it would hurt me more than it did, but I was like, well, okay, I knew somebody had to die. Well, I think part of the issue is they play it for laughs. Like, it's like, you got to sacrifice someone. And then, like, cutscene to them, like, sitting there thinking about how are we going to do this? And then they're wrestling each other as they get towards that cliff. It's not played for drama. I don't know if it's played for laughs either, but... People were laughing during this scene. Not in my audiences. I would say maybe why it's easier to part with Widow is as much as we've enjoyed her, we've never gotten to know her. You know, Skull is going to call her Daughter of Ivan. And she even is like, I don't know who my dad is. I don't know. We don't because we've never had that history. I think we got Julie Delpy putting her face in a bucket of water, maybe, in a flashback in one of the Avengers movies. But by and large, I don't know enough about the character. She's the only Avenger that doesn't reconnect with their past. And so this is the way to get an emotional moment out of her. That was one of my disappointments with the fallout of Winter Soldiers. They set up all your secrets are now on the internet. Everyone's going to know about who you really are. Are you prepared for that? Well, I guess we're not because we've never been told that story. (laughs) And again, who knows? Maybe it's coming. Maybe it'll be worked in. We know that the Marvel Universe doesn't forget things and will work their best to try and smooth over any wrinkles in time. And Hawkeye wakes up in that green pool, and I thought maybe we'd see Black Widow talking to him. Because remember, Thanos killed Gamora, and then Thanos was in this, like, green pool with the gazebo, and Gamora was there. And then after the snap, he went back to there. And the Russos had teased that that place was, like, the key to undoing the snap and would be the key to Infinity War. I'm really curious what is going on in this little green puddle. It's a misdirection. I mean, I had assumed it was the interior of the stone itself because of the orange hue. Yeah, I just took it as rebirth, baptism. You you make a deal with the devil, and here's your new life you're waking up to. You know, if this is their most offensive, what, white polar bear, so be it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a dangling thread that didn't quite tie up. I just feel like it's something that could be used later as a way to maybe bring Natasha back into it. Ah, you're still looking for a way. I give up on that. I spent the whole movie believing that, and now I don't. 
But now they got the stones. Tony has rebuilt a gauntlet. That was easy. We didn't need Peter Dinklage to come back and cameo and be like, I will make you the glove. Thor never does anything important. <laughs> I remember reading rumors. People were like, they're going to find the pieces of Mjolnir and melt them down to make a new infinity gauntlet. But no, just Tony does his nanotech. That works for me. I didn't need it any more complicated than that. I didn't need another quest. It's funny, though, because the reason they give it to the Hulk, they're like, well, the stones, they're mostly giving off gamma radiation. So I guess I'll do this and like sometimes i think you guys are putting too much thought into this just give it to a character to snap yeah and hulk has been a little underserved here everyone else again has had those emotional moments thor had his thing with his mom and so yeah hulk's got to do something cool just talking politely to tilda swinton isn't enough to see him wield the glove you know he's almost as big as thanos and it seems to eat away the flesh i mean it looked like by the end of it that right arm was smaller than the left I took it as some kind of burned, bad wound that way. Yeah, it's like a radiation burn. My question is, did they all think you have to snap because they saw Thanos do that? Because Thanos didn't always snap to use that gauntlet. But I guess if you're making a big wish, that's what you got to do. I, I buy it as the thing you need to do as the person. I mean, it's a, it's a nice visual yeah. to know that something's happened. I'll give it that. Right. Putting on the glove is not enough. Thinking the thought is not enough. We have to stop the actual thumb and finger coming together and making the noise. And in this case, they brought down all of these security doors to protect themselves from the explosion that would happen. They come up to look. Is it a better world? We do have confirmation because Hawkeye's wife is calling. Was he paid that cell phone bill for five years for a number he didn't need? Like, she comes back and just uses that phone. How'd that work? Oh, I'm sure he had informants. And I'm sure AT&T was not quick in shutting services <laughs> off with half the staff. But my favorite moment of knowing they're back is Scott Lang looking out a window and seeing birds. We have not seen much wildlife. He took half of existence out. Yeah, they say life. I'm wondering, is like grass gone? <laughs> but I'm cool with like insects. That's fine. But, you know, it's also very biblical. I, I'm thinking of like the dove coming to Noah with the olive branch. They know the flood has receded and there's dry land to go out on. It feels like a biblical moment to me, which I mean, 22 films, this is a biblical epic. Yeah, definitely. And they cannot enjoy their victory. There's always a, you know, and that's the way you want to build a climax. We have gone two hours. They got another hour to go. And it will be about Thanos trying to reclaim his stones. That last hour goes like a blink to me. The moment oh, yeah. Thanos shows up in 2023, this movie is just an adrenaline rush. But it is a shock because they have no time to reflect, no time to celebrate. That entire Avengers facility is laid waste to because Thanos shows up and just blows it up. I'm shocked anyone's alive. Which leads me to believe the Avengers will never assemble in the way that they have before. Again, getting rid of that base, it does sound like they're going to tell more small niche stories and they're going to obey the accords and they're just not going to be this big universal police team. It's so hard to say, but it is another splintering. They keep this story manageable by turning everything into teams. So now you have Hulk, War Machine, and Rocket under the building. They're recreating a scene from Hulk also in Secret War held up an entire mountain that was dropped on them by a god that he was able to hold on his own for a while. But you've got them together. You've got Cap, Thor, and Iron Man, which meant a lot to me because I thought about it. Those were the three who first assembled in Avengers. Thor landed on the Quinjet and then the three of them had the 
battle to see who's tougher in the woods. I mean, those are the three that really matter. Yeah, Hulk, people love Hulk, but he's never really been, like, one that matters. Black Widow, Hawkeye, it's these three. These are the three that people think about when they hear Avengers. Yeah, they're definitely calling back to that fight in the forest. Only the difference is they're not trying to prove themselves to each other by beating on each other. They're trying to prove themselves by walking into what is an obvious trap. Thanos sitting there knows very well that they're coming. And they know that he must have a plan, and yet they still go and do it because they believe that they can overcome him. And his plan is that he's sending Nebula down below in the debris to reclaim the gauntlet, which has somehow managed... Hawkeye has lived through the blast and is the one holding it and has got to run from, like, Thanos dogs for a little while. Yeah, those are the Outriders, I believe they're called, the four-armed aliens we saw at the battle in Wakanda. Oh, I I was just going to call it aliens, because isn't this a scene from aliens? Like, they're all coming down that tunnel and they blow it up. It it had that aliens vibe to me. There's a definite aliens moment I love when he hears sound and he fires an arrow, and you know he doesn't miss. He fires a, a lighting arrow down the middle to see what's there. Oh, yeah, it's got that light. And you see all the those aliens he's like oh shit you mean that really old movie (laughs) come on he's not back yet well yeah i mean the nostalgia is not just for the marvel universe but it is for back to the future james cameron's alien for pop culture i do think marvel has cannibalized as much as is, is invented and so it makes sense that all of these things feel like other blockbusters we've seen it is the ultimate monster blockbuster assembling before us. And it's great fun. I'm not knocking it for that. I'm having a great time seeing them repurpose their past and our collective pop culture past. But when we get to this fight, the big three versus Thanos, I feel like I'm all of a sudden watching the WWE. And I'm not talking about like watching it on TV. I feel like I am in the crowd at Madison Square Garden <laughs> with all the attendees because people are going wild. Every hit, they're cheering. People are going crazy with this final battle. And when Cap grabs that Mjolnir, whoo boy, even me, like just the comic book fan, I'm like, okay, that's a great little moment here. It was teased in Age of Ultron that maybe he could lift it. And when he does finally, yeah, people went crazy. It was the biggest surprise of the movie. Literally, I gasped. I still don't understand it. Why can Cap do this? He's worthy. And that is determined by the hammer. Yes. It's a sentient being that can make that determinant. It's a magical spell that makes the determinant, yeah. Odin whispered some magic into it. I mean, let he who is worthy possess the power of Thor. Now, I thought... Let he who is worthy lift the hammer. No, he who is worthy can shoot the lightning. And look, I was already geeking out because like when Thick Thor walks out and he's got Stormbreaker and Mjolnir, I'm like, oh, hell yeah. That's like Darth Maul with that double saber being revealed. But yeah, when Steve Rogers takes the hammer, people losing their minds in the theater. Like I said, the AMC I saw the fan event at, no sound. I mean, like the volume was down and they couldn't turn it up. And so the audience was really quiet because we were all struggling to hear the words. There were a few moments where they couldn't contain themselves, and this is one. And I was right there with them. Marjorie, I mean, just was like amazed. That's her dude. Yeah, she is total Team Cap, so to see him proven as worthy. And it's just a badass pose shot with him with the hammer and the shield. And the way he uses them in tandem, he single-handedly goes after Thanos. But Marjorie's biggest fear going in there (laughs) was... Would Cap die? And during this fight, every time Thanos gets a blow in, I heard her gasp. Yeah, this is what they're teasing. Well, we see Thanos is able to shatter that shield. Like, that shield is 
broken by the end of the fight. And I think it's great imagery that he's still fighting with this shield that's in, like, he straps that thing to his arm when he's been injured and that thing is totally cut apart. Yeah, it's a compound fracture. The bone is coming out of his arm and he just tightens the shield to use it like a freaking cast and go back to fight more. Who had the vision of the broken shield? That was in one of the, was that when Thor took a bath or was that Iron Man? That was Tony's vision in Age of Ultron when Scarlet Witch got in his head was the vision of the broken shield and all the Avengers dead with the aliens. Oh, right. I forgot about that. That didn't really come to be. Anyway, yeah, the point is, if we have suspected that Cap is going to die, we now feel this is the moment. And he's standing there, and it's not just Thanos. Like, Thanos is bringing back the flying worms, all those bad CGI, like the fake Green Goblin and that... Ebony Maw, all those characters from Infinity War. Proxima, Midnight, yeah, all of those ghouls are coming out of Lord of the Rings at him, and he's going to have to face them all down. I believe he could take down Thanos, maybe. Looking at that, I know that he's going to die in this moment. And then he hears Sam in his earpiece. On your left, great callback. Oh, what a moment. You hear Sam. We are looking at Steve, so Steve doesn't see that behind him. One of those sorcerer portals is opening up, and it is, again, a huge cheer moment. Everybody's rushing in all at once. This is, yeah, the curtain call, the last hero shot of every superhero walking in here, doing their pose for this fight. And, you know, there's a golf clap for Doctor Strange, and people got excited for Black Panther, but Spider-Man swings in, and holy crap, did the audience lose their mind. Oh, yeah. Like I say, I didn't realize it until I saw it at conventions. Tom Holland fangirls are everywhere. Well, there's a reason he's getting the next movie. I mean, again, that character, not to revisit that, but I was very blasé on Homecoming. But I can understand his appeal. I think he is an appealing actor, and I do think that he's the reason to watch that film. And yeah, he will reunite with Tony. They get a hug in, and Tony, that really has been the guilt that Tony has been carrying. Why he can't bear the thought of inventing anymore. Why he can't bear the thought of being Iron Man in those five years and focus on his own kid. It's because he killed a kid. Because he had that mentorship of a kid, and he got a kid killed, to be able to hug Peter. Yeah, it's the fact that he seeks out the hug. Peter has always tried to get touchy-feely with him in Homecoming, and he's like, get away from me, kid. It's the fact that Tony goes for that hug and embraces him. And again, he had that moment with his father, everything coming full circle, as I would want this kind of movie to do. So, there's a moment here. I don't think we've gotten this moment in any of the other Avengers films. They've always teased it. Everyone's come through. Captain America's got his army to fight off Thanos. You know, Black Panther, all of them. Wakanda, the sorcerers, everyone's there. And he's like, Avengers? And... We've never heard the full phrase, right? Like, they always cut off to credits because there is a dude behind us who's like, say it, say it. (laughs) And he's like, assemble. And the crowd went wild. We have never heard that phrase, right? They've always cut it off in those other Avengers films. You say always. They did it once. At the end of Civil War, he came out and saw those new Avengers and said Avengers, and then they cut to credits. But they have never said Avengers assemble. The UK release of the 2012 movie was called Avengers Assemble because they didn't want to get confused with Emma Peel. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, you that would be awful to have to sit through that Sean Connery movie. Well, I mean, it was a good show. <laughs> so this was the first time, and I just got a picture. I think we talked about this with the original Avengers film when Sam Jackson has that let's vanish line delivery. You got to think that maybe they made Chris Evans do like 30 line deliveries of Avengers Assemble. But the one they go with is kind of weird. Avengers 
assemble. I'm like, they can't hear you if you're going to growl it. <laughs> the whole point is you're shouting at them so they can hear you. Oh, the audience loved it. I'm not going to hold his delivery against him. The, the, again, people lost their minds. The guy, get that guy behind me, say it like, uh, could not contain himself. 20 some movies. We're going to get a joke that Cap says, I can do this all day, time and time and time again. He gets to say Avengers Assemble once. And Ant-Man's really important here, aren't you? You made the prediction that he would pop back for five seconds or something like that. He gets really big, and he's the one that saves Hulk and Rocket and reunites with Wasp. And he is the one that's like, if we lost our quantum tunnel, let's go find the La Cucaracha van and get that going. <laughs> Though I was worried. I'm like, why isn't he taking a nap? He's supposed to get tired when he gets really big. But I guess for this big climax, you're not going to have him sleeping through it. Yeah. That was, again, the Lord of the Rings moment when you see him charging forward. Oh, yeah. Wakanda armies, sorcerer armies, all these armies coming through. When I see all those sorcerers, I think Mordo was right. Too many sorcerers. He has not done his job. I think Thanos snapped away 100% of the sorcerers because they're all there and they're all pissed. Well, it doesn't mean they were all snapped away. It's just here comes everyone now. At some point off screen, everyone came back and they got a distress call to show up here and fight Thanos. Yeah, I mean, they might have been in the world left alive, but they had no reason to use their magic. There is now finally a point. There's now a battle that matters. And I wanted Scarlet Witch to get the kill shot. When she lands and you realize what she lost, they're the Avengers. She's avenging Vision. I want her to have it. And she almost does. Yeah, Vision does not return because that Mind Stone was what made him. So I guess he can't be here. He wasn't dusted. He was killed. Yeah, the only people who get returned were the dusted people. If you died any other way, you still are dead. That includes Vision, who was a robot. That would suck. What if you were in a plane and this pilot was dusted and the plane crashes? That ain't your fault. You were technically dusted. I think he should be able to come back on that technicality. I have no idea how that worked. Maybe that would have overdone the 50%. Maybe he only dusted entire planes so that it didn't become 50.001%. But I had heard rumors that they were going to kill Scarlet Witch because they felt like she and Vision were too powerful. They were just super strong. They could kill anybody. <laughs> they got Captain Marvel. There's no such thing as too powerful as long as she's around. Exactly. Captain Marvel means they're going more that direction, not against it. And here, Scarlet Witch could have killed Thanos. Thanos has to make the choice to fire on his own people just to escape her death grip. Yeah, I feel like she was moved, again, much like Hawkeye when he becomes Ronin and starts just going full Punisher on people. That was her motivation to really up her powers. I didn't feel like she was overpowered until she was pissed off at Thanos for killing Vision. And all the wizards suddenly make umbrellas <laughs> that protect everyone. This is where I realize it will not be carnage. This is not about an end game in chess where you sacrifice pieces in order to get the king. Everyone's going to live. We don't want to feel that way. No, this is about big celebratory moments. And like, there's a great moment. I wish it was more powerful because they're going for a big feminist moment here where they have every female character in the MCU getting on screen at the same time. Valkyrie flies in with her Pegasus. Pepper Potts is here in an Iron Man outfit and the Wasp and all of them are Captain Marvel and Okoye and Shiri, like all there together. Like it's a great little screenshot, you know, yay, girl power. But I wish, you know, it actually led to something, but great 
screenshot. I think they were trying to celebrate women, but I really felt like this was more of a diss on DC. Wonder Woman got so much praise for one woman running into a battlefield. They're making the point, not so subtly, we got a lot more than one Wonder Woman. We got 30 of them, and they can all do what she does. There's a lot of great women in the MCU. We called them out especially in Black Panther, and those are here. Yeah, I felt like this was a point to remind us how many women there were in the MCU, because that has been a criticism. The awkward staging of the shot, the fact that every single woman in the battle happened to be in this one place at this one time, pulled me out a little bit. I loved the three-way Okoye, Black Widow, Scarlet Witch fight against Proxima Midnight the last time, but here to have all the women in one place at one time. It felt a little bit contrived, pulled me out a little bit, but yet I like the image. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It just doesn't feel natural, but I like it. That's what I'm saying. I wish they could have killed someone big in this moment, but, you know, maybe not Thanos, but yeah, Proxima Midnight, one of those guys, but it's a nice moment. They should have been the ones playing this keep away. Because it's for the boys to suddenly get the gauntlet and pass it around. It goes from Spider-Man. He's got some... The, what, what does he call that? The insta-kill? Instant kill mode. He activated it in Homecoming, if you remember. There was a moment where he activates instant kill mode and it starts trying to kill the bad guys. And he's like, don't do that again. But here... He's got the gauntlet. He can't do anything himself, so he's going to let the suit try instant kill mode. Okay, yeah. That, and again, Black Panther, this is where if he gets a moment, he doesn't really, but he gets to run through and because he can absorb laser blast, he only gets stronger as he runs through. Bucky even, they'll show him shooting a machine gun. Nick Fury does not get a moment in this final battle. And I like that was one thing I was missing. I thought he should have shown up and done something here. I think they used him wisely. He is the very last thing we're going to see at the funeral. And I think that's probably right. You're right. He could have gotten a hero moment. He doesn't look cool in this movie, but he gets, in many ways, the last shot. He's the general, not the soldier. And Sam Jackson does not like being told at his age that he has to run. He could have stood there with a machine gun like Bucky did. Yeah, and I don't know about that, Arnie. We got a shaft reboot happening in just a few weeks. Yes. You mean the handing <laughs> of the shaft torch? Or, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, we'll see how much he runs. But I remember him complaining to Joss Whedon that he had to run with a bazooka in the first Avengers film. And that was seven years ago. But I didn't miss him. It's hard to miss anybody when you're just getting this overloading wealth. And it's hitting me. The first time I'm seeing it, I'm like, again, what I said at the top of this podcast, we'll never have this again. It would be ridiculous to try. Why would we want to? Why wouldn't we just turn this on? You're only inviting and favorable comparisons to someone that was much more successful. You would only do it 10 years from now when you've built up the good wealth on your new X-Men and Submariner and... <laughs> no one cares about Submariner. Hercules and all the people that they haven't done yet. You know, Jacob, people said no one cared about Iron Man until they made the movie. I know, I know. They can make you care. I'm making a joke, though. But yes, when we get the Fantastic Four yes. and X-Men teaming up to fight, I don't know. Galactus. It could happen again. What's the guy with the crazy face? Modoc, yeah, I definitely feel like they have more in the cookie jar that in 10 years they could expend it again. But they won't be able to do it every film for eternity. That's not going to happen for Spider-Man Far From Home or for any of the near future movies. But that's okay. I mean, again, I do think if you liked any character ever in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they get their moment to shine. Even... 
Captain Marvel. We forgot about her, but she gets this triumphant moment when the ships are firing down on the battlefield and then they just go whoop. There's a greater threat from coming above. And I'm like, what could it be? What ship is there? Is it the Eternals coming in? Who is this? Oh, I thought it was, I'm like, is this Nick Fury on a Hello Carrier coming in? What? I'm like, oh, it's Captain Marvel. And she's just going to fly through the ship like she did in her film and destroy it. Oh, I knew. And I mean, again, that's the joy of the anticipation of it, of like, oh, yeah, here they come. They're going to have that moment. And again, I do think this is more fun for her to do than what she did to Ronan at the end of her own film. You know, what it is, is she's just very confident. Nothing threatens her, even in this moment. All right. Hi, Peter Parker. Give it to me. It's my job to get these stones back to the future. I love her delivery of that line. It's like the only time I've ever loved a Brie Larson Captain Marvel line is... Hi, Peter Parker. You got something for me? But those two had a relationship in the comics. Captain Marvel, or Ms. Marvel as she was then, and Peter Parker had a fling. So I wondered if her delivery was kind of alluding to that. Not that he's not way too young for her, not counting the five years he was dusted. I saw it more as like, here is this superhero cowering in a corner, and she's going to solve the problem. Like, she is always confident, I am the final solution, except when Thanos throws his sword and your La Cucaracha van is totally destroyed. Yeah, when you just got to destroy an old man to stop from being killed. I guess that's not too hard, especially when you're a giant space alien. Well, the problem was I was told Captain Marvel was the most powerful person in the Marvel Universe. And so when she goes to fight Thanos, I'm like, oh, God, I really was dreading that Captain Marvel would just come in and fix everything. Yeah. We all thought it was too easy. But here's the thing. These screenwriters know that. They've thought that same thought. If we've had that thought, they've had that thought. They've lived with these characters. They knew they couldn't do that. They had to give her a moment, but they couldn't give her the final moment. And so, yeah, Thanos is going to put on this glove, take off the power stone, and just flick her away. That was great. I mean, he tries to snap. She's able to keep the fingers apart. The whole glove doesn't help him, but grabbing the one stone gives him the super punch that takes her out. And this sets up Tony Stark. And here's my question, because he has a little conversation with Doctor Strange when Strange returns. Hey, is this the one? And again, 14 million or whatever. Is this the one? And Strange won't tell him because he shouldn't know about your future. I got some critiques for this film. Mostly it's good fan service, but I just thought it was going to be smarter. Like that one option, that one thing they had to do. I don't know. It just feels like whatever battle they were in, they could have come up with this solution as the one in 14 million. It doesn't feel special. What was special is Tony was the one who could figure out time travel. That was why Tony had to be the one to survive. If everyone else could have died and they could have been replaced. Tony was the one, not even Hulk, Banner, Tony was the one who would get them into the past and get them to get the stones back and write things. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess that it matters that this new gauntlet is Stark technology. It's those nanomachines because Tony is going to go for Thanos as he snaps. And I'm like, well, that's just Stark technology. Can't Tony just make that glove come off? But somehow he steals the stones. I'm guessing those nanobots transfer the stones to his hand. On the second watch, I still didn't see how he got those stones. Okay, so you don't see it. It doesn't matter. I assume that's what happened. You want Thanos to believe he's inevitable and Stark to show him up. That's what you want. And that did get people in the audience. When Thanos snaps that time, people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're going to do this all over again, but nothing happens. 
Yeah. That was a huge cheer moment, too. He snaps, and it just does nothing. People didn't gasp in my audience. They cheered. They're like, you, you've lost. Oh, no. When, when you see Stark with those stones in his hand, yeah, that's when people, again, erupted in applause. And what a great line. I mean, old Thanos said at the beginning, younger Thanos says now, I am inevitable. What's the response? I am Iron Man. Yes. That one line that ended the first movie will be the line he goes out on. It ended Iron Man 3 as well. But was it, <laughs> it didn't feel sincere. It didn't yeah. land quite as hard because we weren't sure if he was coming back or not. We know he's not coming back. Yeah. And we knew when I found out his salary was $50 million a movie, he wasn't going to survive this film. <laughs> but how are they going to handle it? How are we going to feel? It's right that he was the one. He is the one. That was the first stone in building this universe. It does make sense for Pepper to say they're going to be fine without him. He can rest now. We no longer need Robert Downey Jr.'s star power to pilot this franchise. We have built the rest of it. Thank you. Next. I believe that's an Ariana Grande It song. is. It's a pretty good one, too. <laughs> Here's my question. So we see Thanos' army. They're dusted. Thanos is dusted. There's a moment that I really liked with Star-Lord. He sees past Gamora and goes to embrace her, and she knees him in the balls because she doesn't know about the relationship. Did that past Gamora get dusted? Because we'll see Star-Lord. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, the search for Gamora. I think they're going to take that straight from Star Trek. But he's still looking for her. What happened to the past one? She is not on that ship at the end with Star-Lord. She's never seen in this movie again. She's not at the funeral. She's not on board the Guardian ship. But we see Star-Lord doing like an intergalactic Google search on her picture. So I think somehow she got off planet. Oh, that is so interesting. In my mind, she was there. So I didn't recognize that she wasn't. I thought he was searching for the one that loved him because he doesn't like the new one that has no relationship with him and is not charmed by his footloose moves. No, there's only one Gamora. It's the one from the past. It's the way they're able to keep Zoe Saldana in this series. Yeah, she's there. No. She's not there. She is not on that ship at the end with Thor and Star-Lord. How weird. Two viewings, and I saw her there. In my mind's eye, she was on that ship. She shows up on the computer screen. Maybe that's what you're thinking no, of. No, no. I, I saw very well that he was searching for her. I just took that to mean that he believed that the future one was out there somewhere and that that would be the conflict. No, there's only one Gamora. It's young Gamora. And... She just runs off. And why wouldn't she? She has no attachment to these. I mean, she sees the guy who she's fallen in love with. I love Nebula's line. It was him or a tree. <laughs> and there is going to be a Guardians 3. We do know that that is back in production. James so. Gunn, yay! Yeah, that seems to make sense. There is 25 more minutes of movie left. Believe it or not, <laughs> Tony Stark is dead. And we, I mean, half of it's probably the credits. But we still have stuff to talk about here. And how none of those people were actually standing there at that lake. Okay, thank you. You talk about bad special effects with the Hulk's army. This was like... Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes, yes. His head specifically was so badly put on there they really needed to take he looks flat it looks like a cardboard cutout if it meant delaying the movie's release by a day <laughs> fix that shit i didn't believe anyone was there as they did that shot i thought for sure that this was all like this group of people were together when they filmed ant-man so that's why they stand together this group of people were together when they filmed black panther so they'll stand together but what i read was that, if you guys remember, about a year ago, for the 10th anniversary, all those people 
were in one place at one time. And they took this huge photo of them all on some, like, bleachers of everyone they could get. Sebastian Stan said there was one scene that was filmed where everyone was together standing, and it took like three months to align everybody's schedule. It looks fake as hell, so maybe they filmed them all on a blue screen. That had to be a green screen, and then they just dropped the cabin in the background. It looks bad. I am not convinced that Natalie Portman did anything for this film, and I'm not convinced that Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> did anything for this film. I know that he like stopped some flood during the climax, but he was barely there. And yeah, on this funeral scene, that head is not attached to that body, sir. There is no way you'll ever get me to believe that. No, it looks like a cardboard cutout. It is distracting how bad he looked specifically. I didn't even notice him because I just thought the whole thing looked so fake. And I was distracted. All right, I'm seeing everybody. I'm recognizing everybody. Then I'm like... Wait, who's this member of One Direction that's in here with his hairstyle? Is that Harry Styles? Arnie, you're not the only one. Again, when I went to message boards and stuff, after I saw the film, people are like, was that Iron Man 3 kid? Who was that guy? It was Iron Man 3 kid. I thought it was Maria Hill <laughs> rocking a really, like she was trying to keep up with Captain Marvel. She's like, I can get a new haircut. I thought so too. I wondered. I'm like, it looks kind of feminine. But then I saw Maria Hill on the stair. And so I'm like, who is this? Marjorie was so anxious to talk about this film, she created a spoiler group on Facebook just so people could join who have seen it without us spoiling other people. The very first post I read in that was a friend of ours in Australia going, the biggest question everyone has is who is this kid? This is what the kid from Iron Man 3 looks like all grown up. Young Avengers, could he be part of it? Why else would you bring him back? Yeah, it was so weird to bring him back. I guess because he had a relation with Tony. Yeah. But that was an Iron Man that's the least popular. You could make the argument that he wouldn't have formed the relationship with Peter Parker if he had not had that Iron Man 3 adventure with the kid. That kid was the first kid to soften him up to fatherhood because he had such hard feelings about his own father. No doubt. I mean, but to have him back when we've not even heard mentioned or thought of him since Tony sent him the new, what was it, Strawberry Shortcake watch. Yeah. I was also surprised to see Happy Hogan. I had forgotten about him. And I know John Favreau left the director's chair unhappily. I didn't know that he was still doing Marvel. Oh, he was in Spider-Man Homecoming. Was he? Yeah, huge. He was, anytime you couldn't get Robert Downey Jr. to show up. Yeah, he was packing up Stark Tower. And he's big in the trailers for Far From Home. He's still going to be in Peter Parker's life. Huh. You know what? I admit my bias. That Spider-Man movie just rolled right off of me. I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, Happy Hogan has still been around. He was around in a couple of the Avengers films. He was around in Iron Man 3, even though he didn't direct. He was walking the red carpet. I got his autograph. Purple yeah. carpet. It was nice to see him. I was a little creeped out by the way he's going to give Morgan all of those cheeseburgers. I don't know if that moment was as sweet as they wanted it to sound, but... Well, no, that's a callback to the first Iron Man when Iron Man is eating, like, Burger King cheeseburgers after escaping uh, being a hostage. It just felt a little predatory the way he was like, I'm going to take care of you now. I'm like, um, she has a mother. We'll let her do that. <laughs> She'll decide who eats the cheeseburgers, sir. <laughs> you know, with Tony Stark dying... I like Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I really do. I have come to think he is the best Spider-Man we've had on screen, even though I still think Raimi's movie is better than Homecoming. Yes. But when Tony is dying on the battlefield, one of the first people to get to him is Peter. And Peter, the way they've made him, he just babbles. He's constantly talking and yammering on. And that to me, undermined the emotion. I get that Tony and Peter had this relationship, but come on, man. 
let the wife in. You know, it's Pepper's husband dying there. Peter, you've known him for like a year. Yeah, but people care about this relationship. This is what people like, especially the Spider-Man fans. And she does get in there. I don't. I didn't see her like blocking her. I mean, she. I does. never cared about Pepper Potts and Tony. Like when this trailer came out, and it's Tony giving this message to Pepper. I'm like, who cares? This is what you're trying to sell the movie on. I don't care about that relationship. But of course, she's got goop. She's not going to be doing future movies. She's going to be the one reading the compost book still. I mean, you know, like she did it in this movie and that's what she's doing with her life. She doesn't care about Marvel. Now, when little Morgan comes back for Young Avengers, I don't know if they're going to be able to get a cameo from Mommy. And Thor is leaving, I guess. We knew his contract was up. I didn't think they they would kill him. I wasn't sure how they would handle it. Is he leaving for good, or is he just aligning himself with the best team for his comedic sensibilities? Yeah, I think they're giving him an in if he wants to stick around. If not, I guess they could write him off at the beginning. Oh, we dropped Thor off at this planet, and he seems very happy. Everyone, I can't remember if you two did, but the majority of people... Loved Ragnarok. Thought they finally got Thor right with Ragnarok. Oh, yes, I did love it. It's like in my top three for Marvel. Yeah, and Hemsworth knows that he had a couple missteps. Hemsworth has said he is up for whatever Marvel wants him to do. And so they're already talking to bring back Taika Waititi to do a Thor 4. But whether Thor 4 comes first featuring the Guardians or Guardians 3 comes first featuring Thor, those space buddies are going to be together. Actually, before that, in just a few months, we're going to see him and Tessa Thompson try to revitalize Men in Black. But never mind, in this universe, he's going to give her the keys to whatever's left of Asgard. I mean, on one hand, wow, that's really impressive. On the other hand, I'm like, this is a small sheep and fishing village. I feel like many people... (laughs) could be king here it's nice though because in the comics thor has constantly you know i'm king thor i don't want to be king anymore because the new writer came in and likes me better as an earth hero and then i'm becoming king again because ragnarok happened and now i'm dead and then i'm back and i'm an old hero i like to see thor without the burden of responsibility of a kingdom i think that's what made ragnarok so much fun is he was like i wasn't king at the beginning and i'm just going to go and have fun and fight sartir So I'm glad that they're just putting that to bed, that he's no longer going to be responsible for an entire populace of people. I just wish Korg and Meek had been on that ship with him. I know. I hope Korg shows up some more. I really enjoy him. He's a family favorite in our household. Here's my question. Come on, are you guys crying when you get to see Peter reunite with Ned? (laughs) Yeah, what? At at the high school? Because here's my question. If you were dusted, you did not age. Uh Everyone that stuck around is five years older. Uh So, like, is half the high school students, they don't even know him because... That's what I took from his gaze, but I cannot wait for Far From Home to find out what the hell. So, like, Hawkeye, he is now five years older than the rest of his family. Like, they have stayed their previous age before they were dusted. It just seems like a very weird world at this point where some people are five years older. Like Cassie, all of her friends that got dusted, they're still like 10 years old or whatever. Oh, I have a more finite question. Why then is Ned still in high school? He got dusted is how I take it. So everyone going back to this high school was dusted. That sucks. Or they were just in junior high when Infinity War happened. (laughs) They were middle schoolers when the dusting happened and they got into high school and now all the undusted people are re-enrolling. I cannot wait. Is Spider-Man Far From Home? Is it going to be like, well, this is what 
2023 is like. Here's my iPhone 13. Yeah, you got this time jump now in the MCU, and I don't know what they're going to do with that. I got to imagine it's intentional if they're staying in 2023. And here's the one thing to keep in mind. Because it's five years or, or a couple years into the future, does that mean that there's been technological advancements? In fact, that was the whole point. Nobody was inventing. Nobody was working. It was stagnant in those five years because we were all in such grief. And Audi could keep making cars. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you've made that point. They had that product placement. But I think the point is that things can continue like it is 2019 and 2023 because nothing moved forward. And now they can. I think that Far From Home is going to have some splaining to do. They did announce that it's the end of phase three. This is not the end of phase three. It's going to be that film. And yet Feige also said Spider-Man Far From Home is going to set the stage and be the film to lead us into Phase 4. It's the first time we've had an Avengers since, I guess, the original, not immediately followed up with something as lightweight as an Ant-Man film. So I'm glad we're going there. You know, I was okay with Tony's death, just like Widow's. I kind of expected it to happen when he was dying there. And people were crying, you're saying. I tried to look around to see what the reaction was. I couldn't tell. Oh. I couldn't hear sobs. Even in my smaller audience, I could see there were so many men with ponytails wiping their eyes. I can't tell you how many <laughs> men I watched cry. I was struggling to hear the first time I saw it because I thought he was going to say some last words and I heard some sounds. I guess there were no last words when I saw it in IMAX, but I thought maybe I missed something he said. But... Tears did come down my face when they put that wreath in the water and I see from the first movie that old arc reactor proof that Tony Stark has a heart that got me that that got me in the feels. Yeah, and I th I felt it. I mean, I don't want to say because I wasn't crying. I was like, oh, I don't care about this. No, it was, it was very moving. I thought this was very well handled. I thought the movie said you have been so important to us. Thank you, Tony. Next. I mean, again, I get there is an undercurrent of like, yeah, we got to move on from this. But the gratitude is sincere. They really did want to send him off and gave extra time longer than any Marvel movie so that we could fully appreciate what he meant for MCU. And of course, there's still one more character to die. Gotta be Captain America, right? He's going back. This is where I'm like, yep, he's going to have to face off with Red Skull. <laughs> he may have. We just don't see it. <laughs> It'll be Widow coming back. They'll think it's going to be Cap coming back and Widow will appear. This is everything I'm expecting. When they turn over and he's there old on the bench, I'm like, wait. Oh, I, I knew he wasn't showing up in that five seconds. They're like, it's only going to take five seconds of our time. I'm like, he ain't showing up. Now, here's what I got second time watching it. The first time I watched it, I was just, I'm like, he's going to stay in the past, isn't he? But the second time I watched it, I'm like, he has this long goodbye with Bucky. And it's like, don't do anything stupid till I get back. How can I? You're taking all the stupid with you, which is lines from when Bucky went to World War II in the first Avenger. But I'm like, if he's only going to be gone 10 seconds in Bucky time, what's with the bro hug? What's with all this? Oh, he knows. Bucky knows. Oh, yeah. No, that is obvious. Yeah. Bucky knows. He's the only one that knows. Sam's yes. like, I'll come with you. And this is Bucky's only thing in this whole movie. He really does nothing. But Bucky knows that he's saying goodbye to his friend. Yeah. And I was initially confused because we're going to see old Cap, I guess, in this universe, the movie universe, because in the comics, that super soldier serum stops him from aging. Here, I guess we've only seen him defrosted for a few years, so he hasn't had a chance 
just aged that much. But I'm assuming they set up the 70s stuff because that's when he goes back. He takes that stone back last so he could stay with Peggy. No, he goes back to the 40s. You think he goes back all the way to the 40s? Well, I know that what they show us in the last scene is the, not the 1970s because they make an explicit point of showing the exterior of the house and very old cars are on the street. And yeah, they could be playing an old record in 1970s, but I don't believe the whole neighborhood would be pantomiming the Eisenhower years. (laughs) I I think that that was not the 70s. And so, yes, he's created a real problem that I actually think could be a source of stress that because Peggy is not on missions and dancing around with Cap, some villain is going to get away with something and that will be a problem in a future movie. But again, according to their logic, you can't affect the future if you change something in the past. So that doesn't matter. But then old Cap shouldn't be able to wander up. Because young Cap wasn't in their past. So old Cap would be able to walk up in a different parallel reality. The fact that old Cap comes up here, I get it. It's a sentimental moment. Tears are running down my face. You want this moment. You want the passing of the mantle. But it is the time when they say... We're going to throw out rules. This and bringing Thanos' whole army are the two times they say we're going to throw out rules for the sake of moving the story forward and having an emotional moment. But wasn't the whole thing of Civil War that Captain America said when he sees something going wrong, he can't stand by and do nothing? Could he really just go back to the 40s and be like, screw helping people, I want to get some? Well, he helped people. It's again, it's this weird alternate timeline thing. He still did all that stuff. He still spent his whole life saving the world. Yeah, he was split in two. And who's to say that he was entirely selfish living with Peggy? We don't know where in the timeline he went back to Peggy. We think it's 40s, 50s, but maybe he hopped around. Who can say? Because if he was going to all the different places, he had a lot of control about where he could be. Who knows? Maybe he even jumped ahead. Yeah, I just, I felt like there was something not heroic or something a little bit out of character with Cap deciding retirement was his path. But, you know, I also am happy he gets this ending. I think it's a very fulfilling ending. It's the ending I wanted for him. I mean, if you look at it this way, he shows up when he would no longer be able to be Cap for choosing this life, and he passes off the shield. He makes sure someone's going to keep fighting the good fight. I just wonder if he punched any commies in the 50s or something. And again, I don't mind too much because this seems, if you're going to write Captain America out of the films, at least the Steve Rogers version of Captain America, this is a nice way to go because they've always done that whole thing with Peggy. That's the big tragedy in the first Captain America. Hey, we're going to have that dance and then he dies. So this is a nice moment. Was this Chris Evans in old makeup? Because it looks like they actually de-aged Clint Eastwood a little bit. He's looking rough these days, but I got a Clint Eastwood vibe off of this. I got Clint Eastwood. If they like did one of those CGI merges, like what would your child look like? Clint Eastwood. And Ronald Reagan. Yes. <laughs> with that hair. It's because he had so much hair. I was going with Robert Redford, actually. But I, I I thought it was very good. You know, old age makeup is hard to pull off. We've seen many a good middle-aged man try to do it and look foolish. And I thought Chris Evans looked very, very convincing. Somewhat assisted by CGI, but also in his performance. I just thought it was a great way to say goodbye. And we knew this was coming, right? We all, I think we speculated as, as long as we've known Falcon that he was the heir apparent. I'm going to miss the Falcon wings. He only gets like three seconds in the final battle. Oh, he stabbed someone with those wings. It was great. It was awesome the way that he used them to stab that ghoul. I was like, ah, you know what? I'm I'm a Falcon fan now. Arnie, is there a Falcon, Bucky, Disney Plus? I thought I heard something about them doing a team up. Well, yeah, there is a 
Disney Plus show, I don't think it's been officially announced, but I think maybe it has, of the Winter Soldier and Falcon, with the two of them doing an eight-episode thing. These series, they're not like regular TV series. They're mini-series. All right, that makes a lot more sense. I'm like, why would these actors sign on for the next six years of their lives to do this? Nah, they're doing it one by one. Okay. And so there's going to be that. I think he'll still be Falcon, and he'll just be carrying the shield. You gotta have that outfit. That's an awesome outfit. In the comic, he painted his Falcon outfit, Captain America colors, and carried the shield, but still flew, because he doesn't have super soldier serum, so he doesn't have the strength. You see, I thought it was a half and half, because... In the comics, after Civil War, Captain America got shot, Bucky took up the shield. So I thought it could have been either of them. And mm. because Bucky is from the past and is Super Soldier Serum. Oh, right. Uh, you know what? I was forgetting that whole, well, you know, Super Serum is not that hard to get. You could go down to any local gym and probably somebody <laughs> will sneak you some of that stuff. But you're right. He is not genetically modified in a way that's what he's really talking about about him not being worthy not that he's not a capable heroic figure but he literally doesn't have the strength of the super soldier the wings will counteract that yeah i mean he's a superhero he was good as falcon but he'll never i think be able to do the acrobatics with that shield that cap was doing in this movie and at the end of civil war where they was throwing it at iron man and getting it back and everything it's going to be a very different cap whereas like bucky we've seen can do those things with the shield because he is also genetically modified by Hydra. Yeah, Bucky drew the short straw. I've got to say, out of all of the people that came back, he may be the only one that I feel like didn't get a good moment. He got the moment where he got to nod and know he was gone, and he was the first one to see old man Steve by the lake there. I felt like that's all you get for him. He doesn't even get that great of an entrance. Everybody else is coming back, and Marjorie goes, but where's Bucky? And then he comes in with Wave 2. I know, she's a big Bucky fan. I like Falcon, and I really like Anthony Mackie, but people aren't going to line up to see Anthony Mackie the way they lined up to see Chris Evans. No, and that's probably true of Tessa Thompson and all the other people that are being asked to do more. They will probably have to prove themselves. And will they be able to do that? Only time can tell. We are only reviewing what we see today. I do love the way Chris Evans delivers his line. He hands over the shield and you see the wedding ring. And Sam's like, you want to tell me about her? And he gets this moment and he goes, no, no, I don't think I will. My godfather was in World War II And he delivered lines like that. He would say things like that. He would keep certain secrets to himself and use words like that. I just felt it was period appropriate for someone from World War II who's now a very old man to say something like that with that little twinkle in his eye. It was just the first time I saw this, I was having trouble keeping it together. I'm like, please don't bring the lights up when credits roll. Please, I I need to compose myself. (laughs) Oh, you know the credits are going to be 90 years long. That's no no danger of that. And I had heard that there's no post-credit scene, but I'm like, I'm going to stick around, and i got to know for sure. Me too. Plus, I have stayed till the end of the credits for every Marvel movie. Even if there wasn't an end credit scene, I was not going to break tradition on this one. This is the second Marvel movie. Can anyone name the first that had no end credit scene? Hulk, right? Yes, Incredible Hulk, where they took the end credit scene and put it before the credits. Oh, okay. Yeah. I heard there are movie theaters actually telling people, look, posting signs, no end credit scene, because I guess people are getting mad, like, the last reel screwed up and didn't show us the post credit scene. So theaters have had to announce that, no, there is no scene. You didn't miss anything. All right. What there is, is the sound. At first, it sounded like a bell tolling for the dead. <laughs> and then I realized it's hammer to metal. 
And I think it might be Tony in the cave. It is. Yes. Making the suit. Yeah, it's a callback to the very first movie when he was building the suit. It's the same rhythm. It's the same tonality. Right. Again, in with Tony. Giant cast of characters never before assembled or again. But at the end of the day, this is Iron Man 4. What credits though, right? I mean, so many names in the credits. Every name I listed at the top of this gets a title card credit. And then when you get to the final six who just had their hands put in cement at Grauman's Chinese Theater, they get to autograph the screen there. Yeah, I thought that was weird. But people, you know, they're clapping. Oh, Chris Pratt is Star-Lord. Yay. And then they get to those final six. I'm like, I whisper over to the 12-year-old. I'm like, there's going to be a standing ovation when they get to Chris Evans and Tony Stark. And I was not wrong. There was like a (laughs) row of people that, you know, in LA, it's not weird to see people clap and cheer for people in the credits. But to see a standing ovation in a movie, theater this was a first yeah i mean i expect that when the filmmakers are there at premieres at can all of that but yeah people applauded in my theater too that's not a common occurrence here i applauded many times during the film i applauded at the i am iron man line i applauded at the hammer being grabbed it was a movie that even got me in the crowd spirit but are you going to applaud the film overall I have an Iron Man car, Stuart. (laughs) (laughs) You have to ask. (laughs) What about you two? Jacob, Stuart, was this the right move for an endgame? Jacob. Yeah, look, again, I feel like with Infinity War, it doesn't matter what we say. Everyone's already seen it. This thing made 60 million just on preview night in the U.S. alone. It's already made like over 300 million. So do our opinions matter here? No, but what I will say where Infinity War just lacked those emotional moments for me, and that was a big problem. It just felt like a big bunch of CGI battles with no emotion behind it. This one corrected that, and I guess because it's the second half, they're able to, again, have characters reflect on what it means to lose all this and to lose your loved ones and deal with that failure and that's what I wanted to see is how do you react to that and that's the first act the second act you get this fun travel through the MCU again if this is a farewell curtain call for at least the original six then yeah this is what you want to see let's go hit those greatest moments and have a lot of fun and then that third act yes it's just a giant fun battle that you love Wrestlemania and you love Marvel you're gonna love this I even got super into it even though you know it's a bunch of CGI characters mostly punching each other but Captain America grabbing Mjolnir, like, oh man, just coming from comic books and enjoying those, it hit all those right moments. So they did the right thing here. They hit the notes, even though there's logic and plot holes with time travel, as there always is. I give all that a pass because this film achieved its goal of sending off the characters in a respectful way, giving you some finite endings for a few of them, and just celebrating what Marvel has done in the last, I guess, 11 years now with the cinematic universe. It's a fun time. You know, if you've never seen any of these movies, I have a brother who's never seen a Marvel film because he doesn't like superhero films. For him, not recommend. But look, you love Marvel. You've already seen this probably. But yes, this is a recommend. It's going to be a satisfying end game, a satisfying end to everything you've loved. And we'll see what the future holds. But you could end here. And I think you go, wow, what an amazing 22 part story arc that Marvel films have given us. Recommend. Stuart. Yeah, I tend to think of the Marvel Universe Less as movies and more what they do on TV. And, uh, you know, this episode is something I usually hate. 
it's the clip reel episode. You know, they get lazy. The writers, maybe they go on strike or something. Something happens and they're like, let's just have an episode where people sit around and talk about <laughs> everything that they've done before. And we'll just show clips of those earlier episodes intermixed. The reason why this is the best clip reel episode ever made is because these directors don't make that sentimentality and that goodbye, our feelings for those characters not count. They love them. They want to give them a goodbye. They don't abuse the sentimentality. And because of that, returning to everything they did in the past feels like a celebration. It doesn't feel like a cheap ripoff the way that, you know, Back to the Future 2 kind of did for me, where they were just repeating jokes and repeating the story as before. Marvel has a lot to be proud of. I mentioned that the last time. What they have built here is unrivaled. And it's not to my total delight that movies have only become synonymous with superhero films in 2019. I kind of wish that there was more variety, that there was more room for different kinds of films. And I don't think Marvel built it alone. I think that Fox's X-Men films and Christopher Nolan have as much to say about the superhero genre becoming as big as it is as Marvel did, but Marvel has every reason to take this moment to plant their flag into the ground and say, we did it, and take a victory lap and celebrate their accomplishments. It has been miraculous what they have done, and even as someone that is not big on superheroes, I cheer them on. I think that if you have ever loved any character in the Marvel Universe, you're going to love seeing them here in Endgame. They do them right every single one, and they're grateful for every single person's participation. You can feel it in every scene, except that stupid taco scene. I high recommend. I love the taco scene. Hulk giving his tacos to Ant-Man. I thought that was a cute scene. But here's my equation for it for me. I was so hyped. I mean, I went to L.A., for the premiere. I mean, you bought a car for this movie. I did. I got a <laughs> tattoo for this movie. I've never been this hyped. Episode three, Force Awakens, nothing has ever gotten me this hyped. I am not able to be dispassionate about this. And I always try to separate myself from my recommends and say, how's the movie? Not how do I feel about the movie? And I think this movie is a very strong conclusion. I don't think it stands alone. I don't think it's ever intended to. But... I think it's a very satisfying end. I don't see myself rewatching it as much as I rewatch Infinity War. I feel that because it has those character moments and the more somber moments. You just don't want to cry a lot. It's less of a fun watch than Infinity War, which is ironic because Infinity War ends with half people dying. But that never felt real to me because I know they're not going to not make Black Panther 2. I know they've already filmed Spider-Man 2. So... Yes, it is a strong Green Arrow, a really strong recommend, but I feel like I'm closing a book. The reason I think I got so hyped is because this feels like the end of an era. I feel like episode three does. The difference is we're going to be talking Marvel again in about a month. Yeah, no, and here's the thing. This is not one of my very favorites because I tend to celebrate the trendsetters. I like the ones that are doing something new. This movie has staunchly said, nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia. That's all that we're doing. They could have gone back in time and met a new character. They could have set up things that they want to do in the future. That's not what they wanted to do. They wanted to take a moment and just say, look at how we have transformed Hollywood and the entire entertainment system that runs the world. I mean, it is miraculous. No one would have thought in 2007 that Marvel Comics would be the biggest thing going. It just, it's inconceivable that they would get as big as that they did. 
and that everyone would go along. Grandmas and little children would follow these intricate labyrinthian plots. It's amazing that they've done it. They have every right to be proud. But again, my favorites tend to be the new ones, the Iron Man, you know, because that was the first one and established how fun Robert Downey Jr. could be in a superhero movie or Winter Soldier, which brought in 70s films. You know, one of my favorite decades of films, the paranoia, the conspiracy, all of that. Civil War, the first Avengers. I would even say I liked Infinity War and even Black Panther more than this film, but it's there. I mean, I do think that it is in the upper crust of the ones you should watch. There are some Marvel films I'll never watch again. This one, I will. Yeah, I did because I rewatched all the films. I was ranking them as I went along and I threw this one in there. This is in the top third for me. It's number six for me. But yeah, mine are a lot like yours, Stuart. The Winter Soldier or the original Iron Man, even the original Avengers, because it took characters like Thor and Black Widow and Hulk that I didn't really care about. I'm like, oh, I care about these characters all of a sudden. To me, again, if I was judging this as a film film, not that great because you wouldn't understand anything going on. But in the Marvel Universe, yeah, it's a fun send off. And so it ranks high for me. It it doesn't break the top five, almost does, but it's number six for me. As I talked about before, I feel like Marvel is constantly solid with moments of greatness. My top four all tied, Iron Man, the original Avengers, Winter Soldier, and the first Guardians of the Galaxy. I have put this one presently in the second tier, which is Civil War, Thor Ragnarok, Infinity War, and now Endgame. If I had to put these in numerical order, it's probably fifth or sixth right now. Yeah, I I think we're all saying more or less the same thing. If you're going to be selective and pick and choose, this is one that you want to include in any list. You want to see this film. But do you want more? I can honestly say, after the first viewing, I didn't necessarily feel like I wanted to run back and experience the three hours again. As satisfied as I was, it's just not something that I wanted to relive. Maybe that sounds odd, but some films, you like to leave them where they're at. I wish I could do that for the Marvel Universe. I wish I could say this was the end. I kind of agree, too. It it depends what they do. I think they should stay smaller, at least for a while. I don't know if they should start building up, drop MODOK or whoever into the teaser of Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah, let them just be films for a while, is what I say. That's going to be more palatable to me. I don't want another 22-story arc going on. Let films be films and tell stories in there a lot of time for a little bit. I'm there with both of you. I feel, again, like I said, the book closed. And the fact that Spider-Man Far From Home is coming so fast. We have just over two months before Spider-Man Far From Home. But then what is next? I mean, we know they're casting the Eternals movie, which good luck getting me excited for that until you show me a trailer that's as good as Guardians. I want to say that every time, but Marvel keeps pulling it off somehow. Yeah, you'll be driving that car that year. I mean, (laughs) they're very, very good every time they bring their characters back. I have no doubt that they will make people care. I've I've never seen them fail. Well, are they going to be successful with Shang-Chi, who, in my mind, is very similar to Power Fist, who did fail on Netflix? Are they doing a Shang-Chi film? Directed by Destin Daniel Cretton. Means nothing to me. I wish they were doing Iron Fist. I like that character a whole lot. Well, they did him. It's on Netflix. How'd you like it? Yeah, it's bad. I didn't watch past the second episode. That's how much I liked it. We know there's a Black Panther 2 on the way. We know there's a Guardians of the Galaxy 3 on the way. It was supposed to be next year. It was supposed to be the first film of next year to kick things off until stupid... Yes, until it wasn't and got delayed. And who knows? Something is scheduled for next April. We will get a Marvel movie. We just don't know the name of it. Right now, they only have... 
two films maybe next year. It could be the first time in a while that we've only had two. They've got something staked for May 1st, 2020, and something staked for maybe November 2020. They say that could be the Black Widow film. Do you want a Black Widow film, particularly if it's not Scarlett Johansson? If it's a prequel, you know, if you saw that Jennifer Lawrence film, Red Sparrow, it almost works as a Black Widow prequel. Ends up not being very good, though. But I could go with it if it's a prequel and they go with a younger actress. If it's not ScarJo, I don't want another Black Widow unless it comes in as an ensemble. Yeah, here's the bind, is I do feel like these actors want a break. They didn't just leave because they wanted to give you some drama. They left because they want to do other things, and we should allow them to have that. They've earned that right to go and go to Broadway or whatever else they want to do. Does that mean we wait for a Black Widow movie when she's 45 years old? Or does that mean that we trust them to find new talent and let new actors play the characters that we know the original actors to be? You know, I got to remember... In 2008, I was excited for Iron Man. In 2007, I wasn't. But in 2011, I was like, Thor, Captain America, come on. Chris Evans, human torch as Captain America, give me a break. Just get me to the Avengers when I can have more Iron Man. And now I'm like totally team Chris Evans. I love the people that brought in. I've grown to love them. I think some of them have grown in the role. I think Hemsworth is so much better now as Thor than he was in those early days. I think Evans got better and they do have a strong subcast, but I don't know that they have new stars. I have to believe that while I may roll my eyes right now, they can do it again. Marvel has proven to have a good track record, but nothing is forever. And We've talked about how superhero movies today are kind of like Westerns were in the 50s. They're just ubiquitous. Everybody seems to have no ending appetite for them. But then we talked about when we reviewed The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Westerns went to television during that period. A lot of superheroes are going to television with Disney+. Plus. Will the era of the superhero movie end ever? I don't know. Yeah, you're saying, what, it's eight bucks a month for a Disney Plus subscription? Imagine if you could get Marvel cinema movies ticket sales every month through these subscriptions. Billions of people go to see those movies, get them to pay you eight bucks a month. It's eight bucks a month per household, though. How much did it cost for you to take the whole family to Endgame? Yeah, well, that's true. But I, I think if they could cash in every month, yeah, that's a good deal for them. I can't pretend to know how the money will shake out, but I do recognize theaters are going away and that this is probably one of the last great hurrahs, not just for the Avengers assembling, but for box office opening weekends. I don't imagine this will ever be topped because, frankly, we've just become more and more accustomed to streaming things at home or on our phones or wherever we want to be. Sitting in a movie theater, having to totally pay attention to whatever they've cooked up is something for only special occasions. Old-timers called World War I the war to end all wars. We're sitting here calling this the blockbuster to end all blockbusters. Maybe we're wrong because World War II did come around, but it really feels like the end of not just an era for Marvel, but an end of an era for cinema. Hollywood. Does that make The Rise of Skywalker like the Korean War? Uh, Yeah, well, we'll talk about that one. I guess we can't discount Star Wars, but they're coming to a conclusion as well. And so we'll know more about that December. There's one more Marvel thing on the slate we have not talked about, though. It has been officially announced, another Disney Plus TV series. (laughs) I didn't even know about any of this, okay. (laughs) Vision and the Scarlet Witch. Doing what? They may be time traveling. There's apparently, Elizabeth Olsen talked about in an interview how they're set in the 50s. 
Oh, why is my first thought a sex tape? But I, okay. <laughs> That's strange. Them in the 50s. I don't know what someone that looks like him is going to do in public. I just, I can't imagine. I don't even know how he's in the 50s if he wasn't created till 2013 or whatever. But remember, he can project a hologram of himself to look like Paul Bettany. That's true. That's true. He did do that. I don't know. I have no opinion. Here's what I won't do. I've done it in the past and it's a fool's game. I won't underestimate their ability to make it work. They have proven after 22 movies, they can make it work. It doesn't sound like something I want to see, but I did like the few moments that we had of them as a couple. And if there's a show in there, I hope they find it. And to clarify, is Marvel, the cinematic wing, are they doing these Disney Plus shows? Because, you know, we talked about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Inhumans and their Netflix stuff, which is now all gone. It, it does feel like the TV side hasn't been as successful. Is the studio side going to be more involved? Yes, these TV series are coming from Marvel Studios, not Marvel Television. Marvel Television is Ike Promutter, who I've talked about endlessly on the Inhuman show. Yes, let him never work again. And these shows are not coming from the television division. They're coming from Marvel Studios. That's how they got the budget. That's how they got the actors. And hopefully that's how they can retain the quality. And of course, we have another Marvel movie coming out this summer. Just one that's not MCU, but I'm still excited about it. Maybe I'm the only one that still cares about the X-Men. I know they're going to go come home and be reinvented. And that will be interesting, too. Maybe it will be time to let new blood in. But I do want to see how it's all going to wrap up. It seems like the other half of the coin on Captain Marvel. Here is the story of a super powerful woman that isn't so benevolent. Don't forget New Mutants. I, You know what? The thing I've heard about New Mutants is they're thinking about pulling it and putting it on the Disney Plus. It may not get theatrical. We're hovering. I have a plan B if it doesn't happen, but there may or may not be a second horror movie themed X-Men movie in August. All I can say is I talked to a Disney exec who shall remain nameless, and the Disney exec said, we have five Marvel movies coming out this year. And I go, one, two, three, four. Are you counting New Mutants? And he goes... At this point, who knows, but I have no reason not to. Okay. I mean, I want to see it. It would be interesting to see a new genre mixed with superheroes. Horror and mutants. Yeah. Maybe it could be the Firestarter movie Drew Barrymore never had. I just wonder which had more reshoots, New Mutants or Phoenix, because Phoenix (laughs) had the entire third act reshot. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, we'll find out. Or maybe we won't. Actually, some of that we'll never be privy to. But we'll find out how the movie turned out in just a couple months. And on Friday, I have no idea how to segue to Spike Lee. (laughs) Well, if you need more Sam Jackson in your life, he wasn't in this film very much. He plays a bigger role in the 1989 summer comedy. I'm going to argue comedy, but also with a real dramatic edge. Do the right thing. Our first Spike Lee joint is being covered as part of our gold level Summer of 1989 series. Right now, we've already covered Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Dead Poets Society. And because this is gold level, if you donate now, you also get those three Western reviews of Fistful of Dollars for a few dollars more and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Coming up, as Stuart has already teased in our 1989 series, we have The Abyss. Sex, Lies, and Videotape. When Harry Met Sally, Parenthood. And Lethal Weapon 2 came out in summer of 1989. We're going to just go ahead and make that platinum series by doing all four Mel Gibson, Danny Glover films. And no, we're not doing now weaponing with the TV series. I imagine you'll watch it. <laughs> well, listeners, thank you for joining us on a 
marathon episode of Now Playing. Some people suggested we needed to turn it into two parts. I mean, there's an hour of punching. I don't know if we have to go blow by blow. But we appreciate you joining us for this review. All of our reviews, all the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we've climbed to get here, as well as every review we do every week. And in just two weeks, Detective Pikachu. <laughs> That's what I've been focusing on, folks. You guys have been going back watching the old, the old movies. I watched 22 <laughs> animated Pokemon movies to get to where we're finally headed. Thank God. Yes, in just two weeks. I can't wait to hear what kind of car you got after that. <laughs> <laughs> Join us on Tuesday. And we have one Pokemon movie in between, something about heroes and Entei and Ale or something. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't watched it yet. Some name you're going to screw up and piss off people with. <laughs> and also, just a programming note I want to share. If you're listening to this show, not only is it monumentous as it's a mammoth show, one of our longest ever, but also, as of today, our underrated movies book has been sent to the printer. Woohoo! So it is finally in that final stage of... We are hands off. We are now at the printing stage. Thank you to everyone for your patience. And it is the last chance to get a pre-order in. Jacob's going to fly here to Illinois and we're all four of us going to sign the book. And if you want it signed, the only way to do it is to pre-order at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book. You're not going to fly me in every time someone wants a new autograph book? <laughs> <laughs> that seems like you'd get a lot of frequent flyer miles. They could pay for my ticket. It'll be a very expensive book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if it was as hard as Infinity War, but that has been an incredible struggle. I'm so glad to hear we're this close. It feels great. And thank you all for your patience. Indeed. So thank you, listeners. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Jacob. And trending right now on Twitter... So I guess I should bring it in. Thank you, Avengers, where hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people are thanking Marvel Studios and those for giving us 11 years of entertainment. Let me pile on to that because 22 movies, I've given 22 green arrows and only one of them was wrong. Uh, you regret that Dark World one. Burning me awfully <laughs> wrong. Even you even gave any humans a recommend. No, I didn't. No, he did not. That doesn't count. There's no it's way so he does. did. <laughs> I'm never forgiving. <laughs> and I wonder if we'll ever see a day again when the Avengers, Avengers assemble. assemble. <sighs> Stay on. If you find this recording, don't feel bad about this. Part of the journey is the end. I know I said no more surprises, but... I was really hoping to pull off one last one. When I drift off, I will dream about you. It's always you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Avengers Retrospective Series, part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, go to our archives where you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics movie series such as X-Men, The Fantastic Four, Blade, and Punisher. Plus, DC Comics reviews of Green Lantern, 
Batman, and Superman. Good luck keeping up. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, Back to the Future, The Fast and the Furious, Tron, Avatar, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and many more. I'm bringing the party to you. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, The Godfather, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, and more. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Get yourself something nice for me. I already did. And? Oh, it was very nice and very tasteful. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. We need heroes. We need you. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. It's a small price to pay for salvation. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Those books are far too advanced for anyone other than the Sorcerer Supreme. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. It's strange. Maybe. Who am I to judge? The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Now might be a really good time for me to get angry. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's pretty good at that. Right? Now Playing's Avengers Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. All right, let's start over. You can edit it. Three, two, one. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. You <gasps> he are. just did it again. You're imitating the goddamn. This is my voice. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey fellas, hey wait, where are you going? Hey, you were supposed to be my lift home. How will I get out of here? Hey, oh gee, I've got so many more stories to tell. Oh, guys, oh gee. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2019. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved.
Any last words? Zarni, or is, is Jacob there? No. It's, okay. It looks like we have lost internet at my house. Can you text Jacob? Mm -hmm. I will reboot the router and okay. then I will take this opportunity to use the restroom. You're included on this because okay, that was the most obvious one. Um, no, <laughs> we've lost interest. No, internet. <laughs> we've lost it. <laughs> we, we don't want to talk about this movie anymore. Um, <laughs> over it, on to Pokemon. <laughs>